Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Even Stevens Ranked Podcast, the podcast for all things Even Stevens. I'm Brittany Butler. I'm Ethan Brim. And today we have an extremely special guest on the podcast with us. You know him. You love him. Uh, he played Alan Twitty on the show. It is AJ Trouth. How you doing, man? Hey, you guys. Very good. Very good. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Of course. Thank you. Yeah. yeah how are you holding up during the whole COVID thing? I'm doing better than ever. Yeah. This has been great. Yeah. You know, the life of working in the entertainment industry and being an actor, there's a lot of sitting around, a lot of <laughs> yes. downtime. So I'm very good at this mm-hmm. uh, and have been making the most of my time taking advantage of the opportunity to play more music, to do more surfing. It's been great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, n- wait, let me just say, not to be insensitive about oh, yeah, the yeah. seriousness of everything that's going on, but, <laughs> you know, all, all considered, it's, yeah. uh, I've been having a, the most enjoyable time possible, I think. Nice. How is, uh, how's the music going? You know, music was my entire life for so long, uh, and then it just kind of slowed down, transitioned out of it for a, a multitude of reasons, which we, we can get into if we want to. But having taken that step away from it for quite a while, I've really enjoyed uh, folding it back into my life just because it gives me so much joy. So even if it's as simple as just playing guitar by myself mm-hmm. uh, has been great. So it's no longer something that I pursue professionally, but it's something that I love and has been a part of my life since I was 13 years old. Um, so yeah, it's been great kind of stepping back into it, having, having taken that time off. Awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Sorry, some kids were just screaming by my window. Just, if you could hear that, I apologize. The, the usual, you know, just kids screaming. I think they knew I was on the show and then they just were <laughs> screaming. They were just riding their bikes and screaming at the top of their lungs. Trying to look at the Skype screen. Typical. <laughs> No, but that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to keep doing what you love. Yeah, I I wrote you a letter when I was about 12 or 13. You had a band at the time named Badge. Oh, yeah. So Badge is the original incarnation, and then it changed to Maven. But this is great. Okay. What what did the... uh, uh, Oh, yeah. So so, uh, I was like 12 or 13, and I was totally a... I mean, even Stevens was my life in junior high. It really framed my junior high life. And uh, so I wrote you a letter... Uh, shamelessly plugged that I'm a harmonica player and that <laughs> oh cool did you know that I played harmonica yes. too or no and I think I read it in an interview or something oh cool I think they put that in the show once for like one second did they yeah you like whip out a harmonica and just start playing for like one second then it cuts to another scene oh yeah no that's true I don't remember that but that's great and so I yep. was like oh hey if your band ever needs a harmonica player you know I got, I'm your guy and uh, <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. It's good it's so you. silly. But, you're uh, shooting the shot. Yeah, good for you. But you're very kind, and you said, uh, you know, the band isn't looking for any new players right now. <laughs> but uh, you did say that you had a your band badge, which I'm assuming is was named after the uh, Clapton Cream song, yeah. So yeah, clap. So it was Clapton's band, but it was Blind Faith. They did badge. Oh, Blind Faith. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, right. Not to be a music snob. Oh, no, oh, no, no, no. But why not? Weird. But why not just throw that out there? <laughs> First off, I love that you wrote the letter and I love that I wrote you back. And there's a real chance that my mother did the writing back okay. because 
I was like, I mean, there's like fan mail coming in. This is cool and everything, but I just want to like hang out with my friends and definitely play guitar. So occasionally I would write letters and occasionally she would write letters. It was a bit of a, okay. a tag team effort, but nice. either way, I'm glad that you got a letter back. That is, you know, that's, that's something. Yeah. And then here's cool. the, uh, it's a copy because it's at my parents' house up in the Bay area, but here is uh Oh yeah. To Ethan. What did I write? Rock on. Yeah. Yep. Rock on. That's what <laughs> that was my, I would write two things on the headshots that I would sign. I would write rock on, which I discovered later. And I was like, this is sweet. Yeah. I'm really glad about this. I discovered rock on. Yeah. Uh, and the other one was thanks for watching, but I would write it with an X yep. and the number four. It actually says that on the letter itself. It was thanks, oh, T-H-A-N-X, <laughs> yep. for writing. I would write that, too. Yeah. Used both tricks. Yeah. Uh, but the name the, the name for badge, I did an episode of The Amanda Show yep. with Amanda Bynes, and Drake Bell was on that show. They, they had a schoolroom, so I was in the schoolroom, and Drake was playing guitar, because Drake always played guitar and sang. Mm-hmm. I was like wanting to learn how to write music and stuff. And he told me, oh, you only need to know three chords and you can write a song. So I'm like, oh, wow, this is cool. And then I started writing music and that was really exciting. Uh, And then Drake had a birthday party, I think. And for some reason, I believe it was his father knew that I played harmonica and I got on stage and played harmonica with Drake in the Drake Bell Band Mm -hmm. for like a song. And there was a music manager in the audience named Christopher Sabeck. Christopher Sabeck was the music manager for Hanson, whom you may Amazing. or may not remember. Oh, yeah. Of course. And Chris Sabeck had this, <laughs> this brilliant idea. And Chris was a great guy, and I'm sure he's doing something. He, like, managed the Jerry Garcia estate in San Francisco for a while and managed some other bands. So he's doing something. But he had this brilliant idea that Drake and I should be in a band together. Hmm. And it's Drake's going to be the singer-songwriter type, and I'm going to be like this musician type and play the harmonica and stuff. And the band, and he, he said he like came to him in a dream or something, like a vision. He's like, we're going to call the band Badge. Okay, It's going to be like this throwback to the 60s, early 70s music. And we were going to cover... This song by the birds. Hey, now, what's that sound? Everybody, oh, look what's um, going down. That song? Buffalo Springfield, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Buffalo yeah, yeah. Springfield. There you go. So we were going to cover that. was going to be our first song, our first single. We were going to cover that. And it was this whole vision that came to him. <laughs> That's so specific. <laughs> so specific. And then he had us meet with these two music producers, Michael Corcoran, who went on to work with Drake and myself on a bunch of music and, and continued for years with Drake. And then Michael went on to do all of the music for like every Nickelodeon show and a lot of Disney projects. And I think he still does all of that music, but he had us work with these two producers. And then Drake and I split ways because uh, we had creative differences (laughs) at at 14 or 15 years old. Decided, oh, we can't do this. We can't work together. So so we split up, but that's where the name name Badge came from is Christopher Sabeck and the... uh, Drake Bell, AJ Trouth, very, very <laughs> short-lived <laughs> project. And then I went on to play with my brothers and we just kept the name because we thought it was cool. Nice. Are you, do, you, do you ever still talk to Drake or no? I haven't seen or spoken to Drake in a really long time. Um, I'd like to see him. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a minute, but, but yeah, I'd like to say hello. Cool. Interesting how you brought up the Amanda show. We got a comment that said, ask him if he has any memories of the Amanda show. Oh man. So there, there was that. And then, so I played like cute guy or hot guy. Number two was my (laughs) role name, Yep. Uh, which was, which was funny in itself. And then I remember I was leaving the set of the Amanda show and the hair 
guy or makeup guy came running out and said, hey, hey, uh, Amanda would like to, to maybe hang out sometime. And he gave me Amanda's phone number. Okay. And then I remember calling Amanda and we tried to like meet at a roller rink or an ice rink or something out in Thousand Oaks, wherever she lived with her parents. And I drove around with my friend and my friend's mom for hours trying to find this ice rink. Never found it. Or like we pulled up at the very end as she was leaving. Uh, and that was it. So tried to hang out with Amanda, but never really, never really panned out. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Because you were also in probably one of the more disturbing skits, which was the popper pants. Oh, yes, I do remember that. that. <laughs> I do remember that. Yeah, I think we filmed the second episode or something. I don't think it was that same episode, popper pants. Yeah. The popcorn you make in your pants. Is that does that exist online someplace? Oh, yeah. That is on YouTube. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I'm going to try. I'm going to try to find this popper pants. These just giant silver pants. Yeah, they were like Jiffy Pop and the, the, the kernels would. Yep. Yeah. They cut open the back of the pants and then they eat, <laughs> I, they eat the popcorn out of the pants. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, just again, just with the music real quick, because my mom had a question and I'm wondering as well, who were your favorite bands and influences just as a person, as a musician? Well, it's funny how you have your favorite bands as a musician and songwriter, and then you go and write music and you write stuff. At least this was my experience. And it sounds nothing like it. It sounds nothing yes. like yep. what you were going for. And you're like, well, how do I get from where I'm starting to my influences? And the road seems so incredibly long. Um, but I listen to a lot of blues music, like roots blues music and blues influence rock from the 60s and 70s. Mm -hmm. That was my main bag. And that came from both of my parents. My father is a Chicago blues guy and my mother was a singer and songwriter. My father owned a guitar store growing up, so there was always there were always vintage guitars around and vintage amplifiers. And uh, so I listened to a ton of Eric Clapton because that was my parents' favorite. Uh, Layla and other assorted love songs, the band's name is Derek and the Dominoes, was one of my all-time favorites. Listened to a lot of Rolling Stones, ah. a lot of Beatles, a lot of different blues artists like Little Walter, speaking oh, yeah. of harmonica, <laughs> um, a lot of Freddie King. Nice. Those would probably be the two main blues artists and then and then other people would filter through there then i would listen to like pop music at that time too you know hanging out on even stevens Margot always had these really cool bands to check out that were from orange county mm -hmm. like she was the first person to tell us all about jack johnson wow. and brushfire fairy tales so we listened to a lot of that like when it was still a bootleg cd nice. you know they hadn't come out on a record label yet uh, listen to a lot of Weezer, listen to Jimmy Eat World, driving back and forth with my mother from Las Vegas, where my family had moved to from Chicago and Los Angeles. We would listen to a lot of what was on the radio at the time, like Bare Naked Ladies mm -hmm. and Third Eyed Blind and mm -hmm. Matchbox 20. Nice. Uh, B&Ls are my favorite band. Oh, really? <laughs> I, I saw them in concert once. It was incredible. Oh, they're amazing. Uh, it was such a great experience. Oh, yeah. But it's interesting how you had these aspirational musical influences and then there's the stuff that you are soaking up on a regular basis because it's the bands that you hear on the radio and you hear them at the mall and there's nothing that you can do about it and they're you know getting baked into your subconscious mm -hmm. that just happens for better or worse there's not much you can do about yeah. it so I always found myself being a bit frustrated at least at the time that I was really writing heavily of what I was outputting and what I wanted it to sound like. Exactly. I was always left left wanting, I felt like. Musicians go through that. It's uh, 
that's that's funny. So getting into even Steven stuff, of course. Sure. You have to take us back to the beginning of how you got into acting and how that led you to even Stevens. Getting into acting was, I feel like there's two ways young people get into acting. Maybe there's more, but let's just, I'm going to boil it down to two. There's the, you're a really, really young kid. You don't know what's happening. You find yourself auditioning. Your parents kind of bring you into it and you have this first memory of acting where you sort of become conscious of what's actually taking place and you go, oh yeah, I'm doing this acting thing. So that would start for kids that are getting into it at four years old or younger or Mm -hmm. somewhere around that age and they start doing commercials and stuff. They really have no say over the decision to start acting. Maybe they have say later on. And then there's those that get into it. This is just strictly speaking about kid actors, there's those that get into it a little bit later in life, like let's say around the age of 10 or or after, where you do decide, hey, I want to try this acting thing, whether because you've watched something that you enjoyed or you did a play at school and you really liked it. And I was in that latter camp. So I was around 11 years old and was watching movies like Romeo and Juliet and scream and uh, can't hardly wait and just was like obsessed with this feeling that I got watching these movies. I just thought it was so cool. So I knew I wanted to participate based on this feeling that I had watching stuff. And the only way I knew how to participate was the thing that I could see, which was the actors. Mm -hmm. I decided, oh, I I wanna be an actor. I I don't know how I'm gonna go about doing this thing, but I wanna try that out. Yeah. So there was a local acting school where I was living at the time and I started going there and the person that owned the acting school had relationships with agents and managers in Los Angeles and said, hey, well, let's try to meet some people. So I met some people and ended up getting an agent and went on some auditions and I really had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) I think I went to like six months of acting classes. I wasn't a natural per se and started auditioning and got a couple of jobs here or there. So my mom and I had gone to Los Angeles to try it out, and we were pretty much ready to go back to um, Las Vegas, where the family was living at the time, and the audition for Even Stevens came through. By the time you auditioned, they had already filmed the Spivey's Kid Brother pilot, right? which Twitty was not a part of. Right. Uh, He was nowhere to be found. So I always wondered if you knew anything about how Twitty came to be. They were, you know, looking to give, you know, Lewis the best friend, the best guy friend or something. Yeah. When I got the audition, it was, I believe it was still called Spivey's Kid Brother. Mm-hmm. It was to play the best friend of this character, Lewis. Uh, a lot of friends that I had, had they knew what the audition was because they had auditioned for the part of Lewis. And I never mm. did audition for the part of Lewis. And I, perhaps it was always going to be a brown haired kid. Yeah. So a lot of my brown-headed friends. Uh, A lot of my brunette friends had gone out for the part of Lewis. I I never saw it. So I auditioned for the part of Twitty. It was on the 21st floor of the Disney Channel building, which would become like this place that, uh, you know, a big part of my life, the 21st floor at the Disney Channel building in Burbank. This was my first time going there. You start the audition process and you just go for the first audition with the casting director and then you go for a call back and maybe there's a producer there. And eventually, you like on your third or fourth call, there's, you know, a half a dozen people in the room that are the producers or the writers or maybe the director and people from the studio or people from the network. This is something I would learn about later, but at this point, you know, it was my first time getting into something like this. So this audition process, I just recall it being a lot of fun the whole time. 
And just to take a step back, when my, my mother and I were actually driving back to Las Vegas, when the audition came through, this was before there were, was email on your cell phone and stuff, and my agent called and said, where, where are you guys? We've been trying to get a hold of you forever. We have this audition. And I'm like, oh, we're driving back to Las No, 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 you have to turn around. You have to come back. The audition's today. It's this afternoon. And you come to the office, you could either receive a fax to get your audition sides, or you know, there's no time for the fax. So you have to come to the office and, and pick up the sides and go right to the audition. So that's what we did. And then um, eventually getting to this point where I was, you know, maybe my third or fourth call, I recall Matt Dearborn, who's the creator of the show, um, started doing some improv with me. And so he's like, okay, so now uh, you and Lewis are in the cafeteria and you have to tell Lewis like, oh, I don't know, man, this might not be such a good idea. And which essentially became, you know, Twitty's the entire show, main yeah. thing he would say. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know, Lewis, I don't know if we, we should do this. It was a lot of fun and um, was absolutely thrilled when I got the job. It was right around this time that this movie called Brink on Disney Channel had come out. Mm-hmm. And I was crazy about this movie Brink. I thought it was the greatest thing. And <laughs> Disney Channel wasn't really on my radar. I was a Nickelodeon kid up till that point. Yeah, same with us, yeah. yeah. Because they had all the good sh- shows, Salute Your Shorts oh, and yeah. my favorite, um, Salute Your Shorts. Pete and Pete yeah. and yeah, some good stuff. So And Disney Channel was a premium network before that. Oh, was it? So I think that's why a lot of us didn't have it. Okay, so you had to pay extra? Yeah. Yeah, yeah never, had, never had that thing. Even Stevens was one of the first shows after it became non-premium. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Which I think that's another conversation for a little later. Okay. But yeah. 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 <laughs> so Brink came out. I was totally crazy about Disney Channel at this point. And when I got Even Stevens, I just remember this feeling of, oh my gosh, I get to be on Disney Channel. This is so cool. And then I started working on the show. But so they had shot, the, as you alluded to, they shot the pilot maybe six months prior. Maybe even it was longer um, than that. And so when I showed up on set, everyone else had already worked together and had a little bit of a relationship. Mm-hmm. So my first scenes, I f- did feel a little bit like the outsider. And I also, I was just so nervous yeah. Um, oh, yeah. getting there. So there was a little bit of a learning curve there, but I think it was pretty quick that I felt like I was a part of the team and was really um, happy to be there. We had a different set of showrunners in the beginning. I think you guys know, like the first six episodes before Mark and Dennis came on board. And that was a little bit different, that window working on those episodes. Yeah. So that's how I, that's how I got on. That's awesome. Wow. Do you know of anyone else who auditioned for Twitty? Uh, Yeah, I believe I could be wrong about this, but I think Sean Pyfram, who was a friend from back in the day as kid actor, Sean went on to work on Desperate Housewives, oh, okay. I believe, for a long time. Hmm. I think he also auditioned for Twitty. No one else comes to mind. He he would be the, the only one I remember. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, so since the show had already been cast, when you went in for the auditions, I'm assuming you eventually had to do chemistry reads at all, did you? Or, or did you not do that? I could, you know, I don't remember exactly, Part of my memory says that I read with Shia Mm -hmm. in the audition. And then I'm also thinking that it was just Matt Dearborn. I can't remember for sure. But there was a casting director. So every other role on that show was cast by a casting director named Joey Paul Jensen. And my role, Twitty, I believe was the only role that was cast by Disney Channel itself. So Joey wasn't involved with my casting session. It was... This weird in-between time. So you do pilot casting, which is a big deal, and you have to get all of the main characters. Mm -hmm. And you shoot the pilot. 
And then when you go into full-blown production, there is an in-house casting director that casts all of the guest stars and people that would come on the show. And because my role was part of this the pickup process for the show. I don't know if Disney Channel came to the guys and said, hey, look, we need to have a best friend character for Lewis. That's a guy. So before we green light it, we want you guys to make sure we add this character. We don't know how he's going to be implemented right now, but we want to make sure you add this character. And so they took the initiative on getting the casting done for Twitty or some other scenario. I'm not sure how that went down, but but it was interesting that Joey cast the pilot and then cast every other character on the series but Twitty was the one character that was not cast by by that office. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. As far as the character of Twitty goes, a lot of people were wondering if you had any input into who he was, if they wrote anything into the character besides uh, the music aspect that was a bit of a personal touch uh, for you, anything like that? Yeah, so the writers were always asking us stories about ourselves mm-hmm. and would have us come into their office and just talk about different things. At the time, it just felt really nice because it was like, oh, these guys are interested in us and we get to hang out and talk to the writers and it's all good. Mm-hmm. And now looking back, I can see that they were looking for some insight into who we were as people and what kids our age were doing and interested in, which is very smart on their part. Um, so definitely the music played a big role. Music was just a thing in general on the set. Christy was a singer. That's what she, mm-hmm. you know, she, I, I'm pretty sure grew up doing Broadway. Yep. Um, Shia and I had started a little band that we would rehearse in the, um, the conference room where we would do the table reads and stuff during lunchtime. He had a drum kit and I would bring a guitar down there and we would play. Uh, the band was called Frankie and the Foreskins. Matt Dearborn <laughs> named it. <laughs> That's amazing. And uh, and then Margo was in the band for a while too, playing keyboards. And then for some asinine reason, Shia and I decided that we didn't want Margo in the band, which is so oh ridiculous. It's just so ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. So that that was just stupid. And then you know we we only rehearsed for for a little while, but we would always be playing guitar in the waiting room where people would come in to like do auditions and stuff. We just, that was our, our lounge area where we would hang out in between takes and setups when we weren't doing school mm-hmm. and we played a lot of music there. So it was very easy for them to fold that into the show. Later on, surfing became a big thing. So David Brookwell, one of the executive producers was a diehard surfer. He taught myself and Shia how to surf. And so on the weekends we would go surfing with David. And so most of the time, at least for a while there, Shia would, if I worked on a Friday, Shia would come home with my mom and I and stay over on the weekend. And then we would go surfing a couple of times. My mom would drive us down to go surfing. Sometimes Shia, Shia's mom, Shana, would drive us to go surfing too. But Shana, she's so great. <laughs> Shana would only take Vine Street places in Los Angeles. Yeah. Vine is this long street, but she didn't like getting on the freeway. So it would be like, how do you get there from Vine Street? We have to figure out like, how do you, how do you travel the 25 miles to the beach, but only taking Vine Street, which I remember as, as being fun. And Shy and I would strap the surfboards to the top of her Volvo and get down to the beach to go surfing with David Brookwell. And sometimes Sean McNamara, another one of the executive producers, and he directed a lot of the show, he would go surfing with us as well. That eventually made its way into the show. And then Sean and David went on to do a lot of different surfing projects, like Beyond the Break, which Matt Dearborn wrote as well for them. And they did... um, Didn't they do Soul Surfer? Yeah, they did Soul Surfer, which is a big thing. You had a song in Soul Surfer, yeah? Yeah, we did. Maven had... uh, What was that song called? 
Oh, The Sound of Forever. Okay. Yeah, it was in Soul Surfer. So surfing was, they did a lot of stuff that incorporated That's surfing. Awesome. But we did that episode, Surf's Up, yeah. which was one of those yeah. things that mm-hmm. incorporated some surfing. Yeah. I remember Shia got a surfboard from the guys for his birthday. And it was like, oh my God, this is so cool. Mm-hmm. You got a surfboard. Uh, and then they gifted myself. So Shia's birthday is in like June or July. And then my birthday is in September. So when my birthday rolled around, they got me a surfboard as well. And it was just the coolest thing to get a surfboard for your birthday. This was like, oh, yeah. this was huge. And they would do little things. Like I remember I was doing a terrible, terrible British accent around the set <laughs> because I thought it was funny. And they incorporated that in, into movie madness, yep. the episode. <laughs> Oh my God, this British accent was bad. And we had the um, a on-set acting coach, but really he was there to help Shia memorize his lines, I believe, because Shia had so many lines and worked basically every day mm-hmm. and had to do school that it was just a lot to expect of a kid. So they had Richard Lyons on set as the on-set acting coach, you know, the person to run lines with us and stuff. And he actually studied dialects and... He studied British accents in college, I believe. So he was giving me instruction of like, well, actually, you pronounce the word like this, not like this. And I was like, yeah, but that doesn't sound as funny. So I'm going to do it this way. Um, He was right, ultimately. But uh, But it was funny. So like an Australian hybrid. Yeah. Oh, it was terrible. And that's why they wrote it into the show. I'm pretty sure. Yep. Because it was so bad. It's one of the best parts of that episode. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty awful. Did you play basketball or baseball like Twitty too or no? Yeah, I did not play baseball. That episode, I think Tom Burkhardt mm-hmm. wrote it, although I could be wrong. Tom's a good friend today still. Whether he wrote it or not, he had some experience with pitching. So I remember him taking me out and teaching me how to pitch so I could get some of the movements right. Mm-hmm. I did enjoy filming that episode. And with basketball, I did play basketball in junior high. So maybe that folded into it. But Matt Dearborn was a big basketball yeah. fan. Still is today. After even Stevens, I would have meetings with Matt and Matt would take me out for a hot dog, but I would also have to rebound him while he shot free throws. Amazing. So he would shoot free throws. I would rebound the ball and we would have a little meeting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he and I have the same, uh, have the same team, the Warriors. Oh yeah. Yep. He had a really good run. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. He's a cool guy. You know, there were a few episodes that were a little bit more Twitty centric. Right. Did they just come to you with those ideas one day or just like those scripts just showed up and it was like, oh, I guess I'm getting more of an episode now or did you ever express interest in giving Twitty a little bit more to do? I'm sure we had ideas. I don't remember specifically, but if we did have ideas, they would have been totally off the wall and pretty crazy and stuff that <laughs> they were not necessarily paying attention to. As I've gone back and rewatched a lot of episodes since Disney Plus got released, I'm noticing just how well, well, and also now I work and have for the last seven years in development of kids and family television. Mm-hmm. So just how well crafted a lot of these episodes were and tracking the Lewis storyline with the Ren storyline and how they intersect and how they um, feed off of each other. They both want different things and that puts them in in immediate conflict with one another in terms of of getting there. Mm -hmm. A lot of really good writing and stuff that's very well crafted. Um, But in terms of was I giving input into what was going on with Twitty? No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That was a big question, actually, if a lot of people wanted to know. Would you say your your sense of humor, your style was similar to Twitty's at least, or was that just a product of the show as well? Uh, yeah. For me, again, I really 
learned on the job. I had no idea what I was doing when I started. No idea. And I had only slightly uh, of a better idea by the time we were done. Um, Where on the other hand, you know, watching Shia on that show, he got it Mm -hmm. from the beginning. He really knew what he was doing. He was very good with comedy, understood exactly what was going on the whole time. So I very much learned on the job. I learned a lot from Shia. You can see the evolution of Twitty from season one to the end of the show. And so most of what was happening there was not conscious. It was, they were writing... I believe, for who we were as people and what we did good naturally. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a conscious design to the character of Twitty. It was probably very similar to myself at that time versus the character like Tom Grabowski, where Fred was doing something with mm-hmm. yeah. Fred Myers, the actor, was doing something with Tom yeah. um, and making him very much uh, a character. Mm. Yeah, I, I did have these few moments where, like, I can remember specifically in the episode Deep Chocolate, where we're selling chocolate. You mm-hmm. know, I think this is season one, uh, Lewis and Twitty are. And there's this scene in the house where we are panicking because we've ordered too much chocolate. Yep. For me, I felt like I had this revelation of like, oh, this is what Twitty is. This is just way over the top, totally out there, just at like an insane person. <laughs> and I had so much fun shooting this scene. This is by far my, the most fun I'd had working on the show up to that point. And it was like a couple of days later, Matt Dearborn brings me into his office and sits me down and says, hey, dude, so I, I want you to know that scene that you shot in the house, we can't ever do that again, okay? There's, <laughs> there, there can only be one idiot in a scene and Twitty's not the idiot. Right. That's just not how this is gonna go. So I just wanna teach you how comedy works. And I was so crushed because <laughs> I thought it's gone so well. I was so impressed. Only later did I realize Matt's a hundred percent right. That was not I, what I was doing was not the right thing to do at all whatsoever. But I had so much fun while doing it. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the show was a learning process of trying things out. I don't know if everyone felt that way, but certainly for me and Twitty, it was a trial and error, trying to figure things out as we went along and seeing what worked and what didn't. And sometimes it did, and sometimes it didn't. That's one of the best scenes, though, honestly. I was going to say, that's a really good scene. I I had fun. What works so well between yourself and Shia, both of you guys can play the straight man, but also both of you guys can play the idiot so well. You know, sometimes when when Lewis was the straight man, Twitty was the fool, for lack of a better term. And then (laughs) the other way around, too, sometimes... Lewis was the crazy one and you were kind of there to ground him a little bit. I think that's what made you guys work so well is either of you guys could play that role and it didn't feel like it was a different character. Like it was still very much within because you, you each had it, your own style of playing it. Each one, each one of those roles too. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's a fair point and that's how real friends are. When yeah, you're, exactly. When you're two best buds, that that's how you interact with each other. Especially at that age, you're still figuring out who's the, is my comedy work better as the straight guy or does my comedy work better as, as the fool, as you said. Uh, and Shia and I hung out all the time. So as actual real life friends, we were figuring that out too. Yeah. Right. And a lot of that made its way onto the, onto the show. I think that's a astute point Ethan. Well, I'm a big Boy Meets World fan as well and uh, the earlier seasons were are my favorite because Sean and Corey are very much like that 
the later seasons, Sean is very serious and I'm not as big of a fan of that. And then Corey's just always the mm-hmm. fool. Crazy. Um, but earlier yeah. it was so good. And you, and you, Twitty and Lewis are very reminiscent of that dynamic mm-hmm. in Boy Meets World early on. I, I always thought of myself as the Ryder Strong yeah. of, exactly. of Even Stevens. And later I ended up working with Ryder on a show called Pepper Dennis. Oh, yeah. And, and we became friendly. So nice. that was cool as an early early influence That's of mine. Cool. You guys had the similar hair also. Yeah. A lot, like more than one person wanted to know about your hair. <laughs> so, yeah. So you had like the Sean Hunter, Nick Carter, 90s butt cut thing going on. Yep. <laughs> yep. Big time. I was super serious about it too. So you you wanted that hair. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Really what I wanted was the Eric Von Detten hair. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. That's what I was always going for. I remember one day, so Ty Hodges, who played Larry Beal, was friends with Eric Von Detten, EVD, sometimes we call him. The legend. Uh, And so EVD shows up on set and he like shows up in a, I remember all of these details, in a BMW M3, silver BMW M3 convertible, okay? Uh, He's wearing a white t-shirt and linen pants and sandals and has a super cool hair and he says something like, oh, sorry, no, my toe hurts. I just, I stubbed my toe on my boat this morning. And, I was like, this is the coolest guy in the world. A bit of a humble brag there. <laughs> is this guy so cool? Uh, and I told my mom, I was like, mom, you have to come see EVD's hair. His hair is amazing. We got to. And so then the day goes by and I'm walking into the hair and makeup trailer and EVD's walking out and he's like, uh, yeah, your mom came up to me and told me that you wanted to know where I got my hair done. And I was so oh, embarrassed. Man. I was just <laughs> totally mortified. Uh, but that's what I was going for, but my hair would just poof out and kind of go crazy. So I never really, yeah. never really got the EVD thing going on. But that's his hair always looked wet for some reason. I don't know exactly. Yeah, like super yeah. gelled yeah. or something. Yeah. I think the last time I saw Shia, we were it was like in Toluca Lake in front of Aerobex Juice. We just randomly saw each other there. This is pretty soon after the show was filmed, and uh, he said something to the effect, you know, basically making fun of me because my hair looked wet. And that was, I think the last, those were like our last parting words, something to do with my hair looking wet. And well, that must've been the highest compliment if you were, if you had still been in the Eric Von Detten phase. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) right. Exactly. So we kind of talked about it a little bit, um, but you know, you mentioned working with Shia and kind of inadvertently learning a lot from him. So just as far as working with him goes, Back then, were you aware at all of, you know, the level he was at or, you know, what he was bringing to the table? Was it apparent to you as his co-star, as someone who was working with him constantly? There were a few instances where I remember thinking, oh, he, he's doing something totally different. He, hmm. He's operating on a level that I'm, I just don't understand. And the one that comes to mind is on the episode Quest for Coolness, where we're after these sneakers, these quasi sneakers. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they cut it into the show, but it was when we're going in the elevator down into the basement and we're really freaked out. And I'm just acting freaked out, right? It's all a farce. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, really hamming it up. And Shia is getting himself to the point where he's like on the verge of tears in the elevators. We're prepping before they say action. And I'm going, oh, in my head, oh, we're doing that? Like, we, like this is getting, this is serious? We're, we're really going for it? We're really doing this thing? Uh, so that was one instance where I recall Shia being on another level. 
I can totally see it now going back and looking at the show and appreciating what he was doing. But at that age, when you're in it, most of the time it was harder to recognize the level of difference. Mm. But uh, yeah, he was, I mean, he was great from a very early age. And even before even Stevens, I think when he was doing like, he did an episode of Freaks and Geeks, which I saw not too long ago, going back and rewatching that show. He was great from the very beginning. He really just got it. Yeah. Sure. I did also, again, Disney Plus rewatching episodes, the sausage episode, what's it called? Raiders, Raiders of the, Raiders Lost, of the sausage. Lost Sausage. Yeah. He has this comment where he, he's referencing Indiana Jones about you have to take the sausage off and you have to put a counterweight on. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, that's funny that, you know, later in life he would go on to do Indiana Jones. And here he is. What was your, um, what was your experience on the movie, on the Even Stevens movie? So twofold. One, I was really jealous that everyone got to go to Hawaii except myself. Oh, yeah. The whole so the only cast members, the only regular cast members that didn't get to go were myself and Margot because we were not written into that part. We did shoot a Hawaii scene, but we shot our Hawaii scenes at the Arboretum in right. Pasadena or Altadena, mm-hmm. and then they shot the reverse of that where you actually saw the water in Hawaii. Again, this ties into David and Sean's love for Hawaii and their desire to, to go there all the time. Yeah. And so I was devastated about that. And Margot ended up flying herself out there to hang with everybody, <laughs> which was such a good idea. I should have thought of that. I didn't think of that. Yeah. And I think she and Shia may have been dating at the time okay. because they did date for a little while after the show. And maybe they were dating during that mm. portion, the Hawaii thing. I, I can't remember. Other than that, the scenes that I did shoot in L.A., I just had the best time. It was so fun. Specifically, I remember being on the sailboat. Mm -hmm. Mm. And we were on the sailboat for an entire day. (laughs) And uh, it was just the most fun. I absolutely loved being on the sailboat. Right after we finished rapping on the movie, I went and took lessons to get my sailboat license or whatever it's called when you get licensed to, to, to sail. I just had just had a really, really great time. Tim Meadows was in that. That was cool to work with him. Um, it was fun to do the same show, but have it be on this new scale. There was yeah. a little bit more money to do some more things. And that was cool. And it was fun that we got to come back and do one more thing where the show just wasn't over because it seemed so abrupt, the end, mm-hmm. coming coming after three seasons. Yeah, it was nice to do something else. And there was... Things had changed a little bit already because Shia's career really was taking off and he was doing, you know, things had started already to, to move. And the rest of us, it was like, you know, working, but still glad that even Stevens had the movie coming back and some other stuff. So there was a little bit of a shift there. Um, but all in all, yeah, it was a good experience. Nice. And you did You Wish before the Even Stevens movie, correct? I think that's right. I think okay. we actually did them in the same year. I okay. can't remember for sure. I can't remember uh, for sure. You filmed that in New Zealand? Yeah, I filmed that in New Zealand. I remember not wanting to go because I was feeling like I was going to, this is so ridiculous, going to be away from my girlfriend at the time oh, for no, too yeah, long. Yeah. Wow. I could feel it. Yeah. That's how it goes though. That's how it goes. You're 15 and you're like, well, this is the, you know, so important to me. Yep. It's amazing how important those things seem in life at, at 15. But I went to New Zealand. Paul Hohen was the director oh. of You Wish. He directed quite a few episodes of Even Stevens. To this day, he's a big Disney guy. Oh yeah. And yeah. Paul and I still work together now that I'm in development um, we've worked together quite a few times You Wish was so much fun Mm. that was amazing and Lelaine and I became good friends on the set of that movie 
it was great. I had an awesome time in New Zealand doing that film. It was like, it was like four weeks. I had tested out of schools, I think, so my mom didn't have to come to set with me. She was in New Zealand, but I got to go to set by myself most days. Um, and a car would pick me up because I couldn't drive on yet and would take me to set. It was awesome. I really enjoyed that's that. Cool. Yeah, that that's a great movie. I love that. Yeah, it's one of our favorites. When it came out yeah. back in the day, I was like, oh, this is like the best decom that I've seen. And it, it holds up, I think, still. Thanks, guys. Is that on Disney Plus? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all that stuff. Oh, yeah. cool. And uh, yeah, and yeah. I just think it's funny because you loved Brink and then now you got to be star of your own decom, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Oh, this was not lost on me. Yeah. No. This was all, this was like, <laughs> everything's going according to plan. This is all perfect. Um and you know, in a, I would have done more Disney Channel stuff, but things just started to shift. The things mm. started to change. I remember Sean and David were going to go do Phil of the Future. Okay. Yeah. And I had auditioned for the part of Phil on Phil of the Future. We were going to go do this show. Wow. I was really reluctant to do more Disney Channel stuff. Again, this is so typical of a teenager mm-hmm. of like, oh, I'm going to move on and Disney Channel is like, I don't know, it's like cramping my styles. It's not my <laughs> thing anymore. Uh, and Sean sat me down in his office and said, AJ, you have to do this, okay? This is going to be great. We're going to do the show like this. You're going to love it. It's like, okay, Sean, we'll do it. I'll do it for you. I go to test for the show, which means you've signed the contract already. You've negotiated your deal points and then you go to the studio test, which means basically at that point, if there's no more auditions. You either get the role or you don't. Mm -hmm. And when I show up at the test, they're testing two families. They're testing mom, a dad, and a sister, and I'm reading with them. Mm -hmm. And then they're also testing another mom, a dad, and a sister, and I'm reading with them too. So I'm thinking, oh, wow, well, I've got the part of Phil. There's nobody else here reading for Phil. It's just me. And they're testing these two different families. Well, this is cool. So one of these families is going to get the part, and then I'm going to play the part of Phil. And... When I didn't get the role, I was like so surprised. And it went to Raviv, who mm-hmm. R- Ricky Ullman is what he goes by on Disney, but his name's Raviv. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was a good pal of mine now. And I just remember being so surprised at that point. These were all my guys that I worked with. It was the same crew as Even wow. Stevens, and it was right. the same executive producers of Even Stevens. So it was an almost was. Right. Phil wow. of the Future was an almost was for Disney Channel. Yeah. And then my friend. Alan Sachs, who did You Wish, he was the producer on You Wish, and he produced like Smart House and uh, Color of Friendship, and he also did Camp Rock. Oh. And I remember auditioning for Camp Rock, thinking like, oh yeah, this is going to happen, Camp Rock is going to happen for sure, and then the Jonas Brothers ended Uh, up doing Camp Rock. Uh, And Alan went to work with the Jonas Brothers on quite a few projects after that. I think he actually managed like their television company or something. Your band did the American Dragon Jake Long we, theme song. Yeah. And then it was eventually exactly. replaced with the Jonas Brothers in the second That's season. That's right. That's right. So I almost I almost had a longer relationship with Disney, which I would have been thrilled about, but it yeah. didn't quite pan out. Um, although the development team over there, specifically Adam Bonnet, really helped mentor me a lot as a development executive and as a producer and I spent time shadowing Adam at the Disney Channel. This is why I mean the 21st floor has, at the Disney Channel building has been such a big part of my life. Mm-hmm. So I spent time there learning about how to be a producer and develop kids television and, and do all of that stuff. So Disney has had a major impact on my life 20 years running at this point. That's cool. Right. 
So they came to you with that sort of stuff, like the decom role, the doing the theme song for American Dragon, or yeah, you wish I had to audition for. Okay, uh, so it wasn't a straight offer. I did have to audition for it. The American Dragon thing they did present to us, and I remember uh, again. <laughs> Just being super reluctant, like, oh, I don't want to do this. <laughs> it's so lame. Uh, but it was a great experience, and we had a lot of fun in the studio. Uh, Jamie Houston was the songwriter, who I think wrote a lot of the music for High School Musical. Uh. And if if not High School Musical 1, then High School Musical 2, he's pretty prolific at this point. He's written a ton of stuff in that genre. Um, but he wrote that song, and we recorded it, and then did the music video. It didn't feel like the best of fits. I think we were a little bit... Um, off on that. You know what? I actually may be misremembering that. Jamie Houston maybe didn't write that song. Jamie Houston wrote the song that we did for Herbie Fully Loaded. We wrote, mm. we recorded the song for that for that uh, soundtrack. Somebody else wrote the American Dragon, or maybe he wrote both. Sorry, just can't remember. <laughs> but it was a good overall experience for the band doing the music video and recording the theme song and stuff. And it's fun to see the small debates that take place online. Very, very small. Nobody actually cares. But uh, the who did it better, Maven or the Jonas Brothers <laughs> yeah. uh, American Dragon theme nice. song. Did you write um, like Sacramento Girl and stuff or any of those songs? Or what was your input well, on that? Yeah, so... I did write some of the music along with my my mom actually helped on one of the songs. Oh, wow. Uh, I forget the name of the song, uh, but it was something we did for Band on the Roof, I believe. Okay. Yeah, Another Perfect Day or Crazy or... Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. Sacramento Girl was written by our receptionist on Even Stevens, Alex, oh, wow. who was a musician cool. and songwriter. And we would hang out and play guitar with him again in the waiting area. That's where Alex worked and would answer the phones and stuff. And so we would hang out and play guitar. I don't know which producers approached Alex and said, hey, do you want to do this song, Sacramento Girl? So he actually wrote Sacramento (laughs) Girl. And then Jim Wise, who played Coach Tugnut, wrote a lot of the other music Mm -hmm. for the show and a lot of the lyrics and stuff. And he's Mm -hmm. from, I think he's from the Groundlings, not Second City. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so he's from the Groundlings. And, you know, he's was really famous and very well revered for what he would do with improv music. Mm -hmm. The fact that we had him on even Stevens writing, like he did most of the music for the musical influenza. I think he did another perfect day, which was in band on the roof. Yeah, he did. Yes. So, I mean, he was just incredibly talented and wrote a lot of the music as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's awesome. Speaking of just more, you know, music, Disney channel stuff. You were part of what I refer to as the We Are the World of early Disney Channel, yeah. which is the circle of life by the Disney Channel circle of stars. Yeah. And you sort of had yeah. that Bruce Springsteen moment in there with the with the rasp bringing it yeah, to I was the trying. table. I was going for it. That's the best part of the song. <laughs> yep. Really going for it. I remember being on the set of that shoot. And everyone's there. It's Hillary. It's Raven. It's Christy. It's yep. I think Taj Maori was a part of it. Yeah. Yep. Um, Orlando Brown. Kyla. Oh Pratt. yeah, Orlando Brown. Uh, Anna Van. What's her What's her name? Annalisa Vanderpool. Oh, Annalisa. Yep. Yeah, yeah, Vanderpool. Yep. There were so many of us, and so we're filming. We so we had to do the recording. Then we had to film the music video. There's all like this dancing going on and this cool <laughs> stuff. And I'm so out of my element trying to figure out what the hell am I doing. Uh, I was amazed that they used one line that I sung because it really stuck out like a sore thumb compared to everything else that was happening. And then we had to do these interviews. And I think this is all in the DVD for The Lion King when they re-released it. Mm-hmm. We did these interviews and I remember everyone really hamming it up in these interviews. Like and that was the moment I realized there's this Disney Channel 
kid persona. Oh, yeah. That when you're interviewed, you are bright and sunny and bubbly and mm-hmm. witty and cracking jokes and doing this whole thing and not giving honest answers. You're like entertaining the audience. I, I just was never capable of that. I never did a good job. I just would fail miserably. So I would have to give these really honest answers. Right about like what my favorite character in The Lion King was and different things. And I, I'm sure, I don't think any of it made it into the cut because it was just way too earnest, way too honest. And just, they're like, no one wants this. But I think that like earnestness really shone through with you and Shia too, like both of you guys. I mean, obviously that's what, what also was a big part of even Stevens was there was just this really kind of almost like grit to it for lack of a better term. Mm. Um, like yeah. it was really real and you didn't, it didn't feel glossy you know, too perfect and stuff. And when you guys did your interviews for like the, I forget what they're called, like the Disney channel. Express yourself. Yeah. Express yourself stuff. Oh, right. Yeah. You and shy, you guys both always gave really real answers to stuff. Sometimes um, like shy would play it for, I I think he was doing a bit sometimes (laughs) doing something, (laughs) a comedy bit. Yeah. But uh, like you would always give like a really real answer. And also uh, Lee Thompson young also, I felt was like that too. Oh, right. Absolutely. No, you're right about him. Yeah, that's very true. And it really did shine through in, in those moments and on the shows that you were in too. And I think audiences could tell. Yeah, maybe you're right. You know, the, that sort of natural acting style where everything we would say dude a lot and man a lot. Yep. Sweet. Buddy. And we would Im- improv and just, yes, <laughs> just keep it. That came from Shia. He was really the one paving the road for, this is all going to be natural. This is going to be real. We're not doing this Disney over the top like thing. It took me a minute to catch on to what was happening, but eventually I think Twitty got there with the, oh, these are just two buds hanging out and this is how buds talk and Mm -hmm. um, we're playing this as natural and real as possible most of the time. Was sweet your your word? I think that's one of those words, yeah, that I was saying and they incorporated. I I still say sweet to this day and it's because you say it. You know you're quoting Twitty, but nobody else. Yeah. No, knows that you're referencing even Stevenson Twitter. My friends all throughout my life, they've ad- adopted this term, just sweet. Oh, sweet, bro. Sweet. <laughs> it's a good one. I support it. We got the yeah. most specific <laughs> comment about this too. Like when we said we're going to be you know, talking with you, we got the most specific comment that was like, now the way he says sweet is like so <laughs> specific. It's like, and it is though, it's kind of like sweet. An emphasis on the T there. Yeah. And they wanted to know, they're like, was that your own doing or were you instructed to say it that way? Just the most specific comment about this week. We got some very specific comments. (laughs) I have no idea is my answer. I do not remember at all. Good answer. Oh, man. I I feel like we were just saying something that was sort of going into, oh, yeah, Ethan, you were talking about how the show feels super real um, and doesn't really fit the Disney mold, which I think sort of goes into the stuff that you brought up on the Zoom reunion call, AJ. Right. Which was, you know, even Stevens existing in this weird middle ground that wasn't really like anything that came before it, which was the, you know, so weird Jet Jackson in the jersey, but then not really like anything that came after it. You know, we talk about this stuff all the time uh, about, you know, even Stevens' little place in Disney Channel history. Did you feel that back then that you guys were? Like the awkward Disney Channel show or, were, or were, again, was that just not something you thought of? Yeah, I think it's yes and. We really felt different from So Weird and uh, The Jersey mm-hmm. that was on before us. We felt very different from that. But at the time, we felt cutting edge. Mm. We didn't feel 
uh, like oddballs or weirdos. Mm-hmm. We very much felt like this is the new way that Disney Channel's going. We're right at the forefront. This is so cutting edge. Yeah. And then Lizzie came out a little bit after us, and I do recall feeling, and I know that I, when we did our 20-year reunion Zoom call, the producers expressed that they did not feel a rivalry. As an actor on the show, I do recall feeling a bit of a rivalry with, oh, yeah. with Lizzie McGuire. It was a little bit of an us versus them kind of mentality. I remember feeling like, really, for no reason. I don't think I'd ever seen an episode of the show. It was not, and and it's a great show, actually, going back and looking at yeah. it. So, I, I, you know, the way I look at it now is Lizzie McGuire and even Steven stand apart from the rest of what Disney Channel did. Yeah. It was, they were both single camera, half hour comedies. Mm-hmm. And, the way it was explained to me is that back at that time, Disney Channel hired production companies to handle their productions because they could do them non-union. Yes. And they could do them non-union and not have the Teamsters unions step in and go, hey, you you guys are Disney. You can afford to go union and you guys have to. So we're going to pick it this production if you guys don't go union and in order for Disney Channel to get around that they would hire production companies everything would get funneled through the production company they would do it non-union as far as the crew went and film these shows for a lot less money as a result of going that route you had this real hands-off approach from Disney which then let the creatives being Matt Dearborn and Mark Warren and Dennis Rinsler really make the show that they wanted to make. Yeah. And something really cool happens in that space when you have seasoned, experienced adults making kids programming that they want to watch. Exactly. So you get this elevated state of comedy, these elevated storylines. It's just better when because they're never writing jokes or playing towards the kids. They're never they're never writing down to their audience. Exactly. They're yes. writing stuff that they think is funny and kids you know, my opinion is kids are way more sophisticated than we give them credit for. Really, the things that keep kids hooked on watching shows, and this is just going from my own experience, it isn't just the jokes, because kids aren't just trying to run around laughing all day, but Mm -hmm. when there's compelling storylines and compelling drama that gets them sunk in where they have to sit there for the 22 minutes or however long it is and figure out how the storyline is going to play out, that makes for compelling, enticing, and interesting content. And then the jokes that come on top of that are just the icing on the cake. And I know that Matt Dearborn always approached it that way. He was never approaching it from a comedy first standpoint he was approaching it from what's the most entertaining storyline we can possibly tell and where does the conflict come from and what's going to be compelling for these characters Uh, and then the jokes would come later they would punch it up with jokes that is one of the things that made even Stevens exist in this middle ground is the fact that Disney had to be hands-off because of this policy that they had of hiring a production company to get around the unions and the same thing happened on Lizzie McGuire so they exist in this weird space after that is when the success of these shows, they started to have to reckon with what was going on with the unions. That's so Raven still slipped under the radar. Again, that was Brookwell McNamara producing that show, yeah. which they did go multicam, so... It, but it's still different than what things would become with like Hannah Montana and oh, the yeah. future of Disney Channel. That's where Raven still feels a little bit different. And so eventually they got to the point where the unions go, we see what's happening here and you guys can't get around the, the issue anymore. So rather than hiring a production company to handle their productions, Disney Channel would do the productions directly and they would just hire a showrunner to handle it and they wouldn't, they wouldn't funnel it through a, a production company anymore. And that's when I 
feel like things really started to change. Mm. And Disney Channel was way, was way more hands-on with each one of the, the productions. And it's cool that there was this interim period that it's really even Stevens and Lizzie McGuire. And then there's a couple of other shows that make the list. That's so Raven would be kind of towards the top of it and, and uh, be in that grouping. Which, when I look at the rankings of what are the considered the best Disney Channel shows of all time, it's usually Lizzie McGuire, even Stevens, and that's so Raven. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting yeah. uh, when you put it that way. We've, we haven't heard that that spin on it, which is cool. Yeah, we were just kind of forgotten out there, too. We yeah. filmed in, a, in a, an old chainsaw factory <laughs> and Marina Del Rey. Warehouse. Yeah, where they yeah. eventually filmed Baywatch. Yeah. And, then it was, and then it was us. Nobody wanted to go out there. Yeah. There, Disney's offices were in Burbank. Nobody wanted to go drive. There was nothing going on in Marina Del Rey back then either. So you just go to this weird factory in Marina Del Rey and like sit on. No one wanted to go. So And you couldn't Skype in to a table read or something. So we were just on our own, just kind of yeah. doing our thing. I have to sit right. on the 405 and then the 10 and then like all these freeways that you don't want to be on. Yeah. No, yeah. no way. Forget it. Yeah. So they just kind of left us alone. And I think the show was way better off for it. Oh, totally. Because it was unique. It was that specific creative team's brainchild. And later with Disney Channel, everything started to get pretty homogenous, which may be really great from a brand standpoint and totally get where they're coming from with that. But even Stevens and Lizzie McGuire specifically were what they were because they were more or less left alone. Definitely. It's interesting to think about how that affected even Stevens in the long run. It is, like, even though it definitely is one of the best shows, it is often one of the most overlooked. Oh, totally. Sometimes underrated, forgotten a little bit. Yeah. Like when people talk about Disney Channel nostalgia, it usually starts with Lizzie McGuire or That's So Raven. Like even Stevens still fell through that little area yeah. where people still kind of forget. And you know, we talk about there's many reasons why that could be the case. You know, the fact that it was a premium channel up until a certain point, um, the fact that it was more of a guy show and then Disney Channel kind of became more female oriented. I think that's a big one. There's a bunch of different components and we're always trying to nail down yeah. why exactly that is. But at the same time, you know, we kind of like the fact that it's kind of helped contribute to even Stevens having like a cult status almost. Sure. The real ones remember it yeah. and uh, <laughs> yeah. and appreciate it. It was the time period when Disney Channel was more gender neutral, mm-hmm. where they were not trying to specifically appeal to a female audience. Right. And I thought we did a great job with that of male right. and female storylines and having something for everybody. Totally. Lizzie McGuire certainly was a step into what they would become, which was much more geared to nine to 12 year old girls. Mm -hmm. And I think they kind of conceded the crown of, for lack of a better term, king of boys programming to Nickelodeon yeah, and really let them run with that. So then there was these two different camps, whereas Disney Channel was more for girls and Nickelodeon was more for boys. They created Disney XD, right? which was like totally just yeah. guy-oriented yeah. stuff. Exactly, yeah. And that's what it was for. It was supposed to be boys programming, which, you know, Matt uh, Dearborn and Tom Burkhardt did Zeke and Luther yeah. for, yep. Yep. for Disney XD. Um but I like I, the gender neutral thing is so important. It just seems like the better better way to go. Uh, oh yeah, I thought that was great. And this that also harkens back to the shows that I grew up loving on Nickelodeon, like Salute Your Shorts, like Pete and Pete. Again, just this is good programming for young people, gender neutral. And I don't know that it is important necessarily to be tribalistic at that age because when you're so we are twelve to. Th- 
13, 14 filming the show. So generally speaking, your audience is going to be two to three years younger than the cast members that you have on the show. That's usually how it works. Yeah. And when you're at that age, nine-ish years old, 10-ish years old, there isn't as much need for tribalism. So boys and girls are watching a lot of the same stuff and they're, mm-hmm. and it can be funny to both. So yeah. I tend to prefer the more gender neutral shows, I guess yeah. is what I'm saying. Yeah. Nickelodeon, I, I grew up in Nickelodeon too. Slew Your Shorts was actually my favorite show. Um, yeah, even Stevens was even the stuff before like famous Jed Jackson was very much I think like it had just a male lead. Yeah. Um, whereas even Stevens had a female lead and a male lead. Right. Um, and mm-hmm. it was one of the only ones the few that had that I think that I can even think of. And Jed Jackson was also very um, if I remember correctly was like super moral based. It was like yeah. every yeah. episode is going to have like a real like important story or like a real yeah. like thing and then you know even Stevens you know, there were some episodes, but it was more the Seinfeld of it of for kids. There was, <laughs> yeah, you know, it kind of was, was. Yeah, yeah, it really was. Two other shows that that come to mind for me were Clarissa Explains It All, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and The Secret World of Alex Mack. Oh yeah, yep. And that's the, the the other side of it where you had two female leads, but again doing shows that were gender neutral. I loved those me shows. Me too. Yeah. I love those fantastic. Shows. Yeah. Can we get yeah. some more of that? Yeah. yeah folks, can we get more of this gender neutral type programming? Male lead, female lead. Who cares? It doesn't matter. But it's it's stuff for everybody. I love Lizzie McGuire, and I mean Lizzie McGuire is a great show. It didn't feel like a girl show to me. I was just I loved it. Yeah. And they did have they did have Matt in there, but he was younger. Yeah. He usually had some plots. Like he did. Lizzie always had the main plot, but there'd always yeah. be like a maybe a five minute length Matt plot in every episode. Yeah. And that's a Raven I felt was pretty mm-hmm. um, much for everybody too. And the Corey character is very similar to the Matt yeah. character in yeah. in Lizzie. They're yeah. both for sure the little brother conniving, Schemy, yeah. Kinda, you know, yeah. mischievous, figuring things out. Yeah, I feel like we've kind of talked about it a little bit, but. Back then, there was still the three-season, 65-episode rule, basically, for every show, even if it was super popular. Because I, I know you said with the movie, when you did it, you know, it felt like, okay, good, it's not totally over yet, because it did feel kind of abrupt. Mm-hmm. Basically, how did the 65-episode rule affect you and the series? Like, when you're young, you know, you're like, you're on the show, and then suddenly, okay, time's up. Yeah, I mean, that show was everything at that time. It was Mm -hmm. uh, as important as your high school experience is to you. It was that times 10 probably because it was also wrapped up in your professional aspirations and the biggest dreams that you have for your life at that point. It's all wrapped up in that show. Mm -hmm. These are your best friends. This is where you go every single day. This is your extended family, this group that you belong to. So, and this is something that came out when we did our 20 year reunion. Crew members that were on the show that since even Stevens wrapped, they've gone on to do hundreds of, if not thousands of productions since then. Mm-hmm. As an actor, you have to audition and go through all this process and you have to be exactly right for the role and blah, blah, blah. When you're a crew member, you work all the time. And a lot of these crew members on that 20 year Zoom reunion would were saying is the greatest production that they've ever worked on. Yeah. They loved the experience. They, everything about it was so great. It just reminded me of, oh yeah, that's really saying something. And you know, other people felt this way, that this was a very significant production and we all had an incredible time together. So when it is your whole world, it's everything. When it's coming to an end, uh, it was incredibly disappointing. It was good that the production staff let us actors know, oh, this is just Disney's rule, 65 episodes. So even at that age, we were aware that 
this was something we didn't have any control over and it was always going to come to an end. Um, But it was super disappointing. Mm. My goal as an actor was not to be a super famous movie star. My goal as an actor was to be on a show with people my own age. That 70s show was always sort of the benchmark of mm-hmm. like that success. You're working with people that you really enjoy and you're just having the great, the greatest time and everyone's your age. And even Stevens in a lot of ways, um, even though we were younger than the, the cast of that 70s show was my own personal version of that. So, mm-hmm. you know, working with Shia and Margot and Christy and Lauren, and the list goes on. Yeah, it was really disappointing when it came to an end. And it was hard to make sense of at that age, like, what, 65 episodes, and you're going to go into syndication, and why don't we just keep going? But I think part of the explanation we got is that if Disney were to do more episodes, a few things would happen. One, they'd have to renegotiate contracts with the actors, and the actors Mm. would expect to be paid more, and then it would make the show too expensive to produce. When you are making programming for young people, eventually they're going to grow out of the show. They're just going to be too old to. And there's arguments for and against this. Like, you know, Boy Meets World was on for a really long time. And I think there's people that watched it from the beginning to the end and grew up with those people and didn't care that it was a show for young people. Mm -hmm. So the argument was that you start watching the show at nine. You do three seasons. You end end up watching the show until you're 12. And you're kind of phasing out of Disney Channel at that point. You're going to go watch something else. But there's a whole new audience of nine-year-olds that can start over. So rather than paying more to produce more episodes, we're just going to rerun the episodes that we already created. And it's completely new to those kids. They've never seen any of this stuff before. So why mm. why do more? Also, you know, kids grow up. And so you'd have to age the show up. They'd have to go to junior high and then to high school. And if Disney Channel's brand is that these kids are in junior high, that's the age group that we do does it start to get awkward? There's less, I guess there's less flexibility at that time with Disney, with Disney Channel. I think the first show to break that rule may have been That's So Raven. Mm-hmm. I think do it was. F- yeah. yeah. They made it to 100 episodes. Oh, wow. Okay. So even Lizzie McGuire only did three seasons yeah. and that show was wildly successful as well. They actually only did two seasons, but they crammed 65 episodes into two oh, seasons. Oh, really? Oh, is that what? Yeah. Really oh, I weird. didn't realize that either. Mm-hmm. I think today it certainly would be different. You'd have the opportunity to do more seasons. Um, but at that time, yeah, it was what it was. How, how often do you get, uh, would you say you get recognized for even Stevens? Or how often does it come up, I guess? Yeah, nowadays it's a whole lot less, of course. There's just <laughs> less people that are familiar with the show. But for a little while there, it was pretty crazy. It was amazing how many people watch Disney Channel. And I think that's indicative of our generation, uh, how important Disney Channel was. It was the thing. Like it was as popular as Instagram is now or TikTok or whatever people are doing. Like the only thing there was to do was watch Disney Channel. And it was for young people. It felt like, oh, this is the thing that I watch and I watch it with my friends and it's not for my parents. This is just for us. And nowadays kids are on YouTube and doing whatever else. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. We'd go, we'd come to school the next day after there was a new episode. And we'd all talk about, the, talk about whatever yeah. the last episode was. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're answering like so many listener questions organically right now. Like it's not even funny. Sweet. I have kind of a random question. Did it happen often where you guys had a hard time not breaking character or were there any infamous moments where you guys uh, had a hard time finishing a scene? I don't remember any specific events, but my favorite thing to have happen on set is when we could not get through a scene because we would be laughing too much. (laughs) I lived for that. That was the best feeling, especially when you would be doing somebody's coverage and we would, so let's say we're shooting Shia's coverage. So they're doing a close up on Shia, 
and he's the only person on camera and Margot and I are off camera reading lines for Shia. If we could make him laugh and not be able to get through the scene and do the take, that was the best feeling. Nice. It was, so, and I don't know if everyone felt that way because it's, it's horribly unprofessional. It's not something you want to be doing. And there's a lot of money on the line and people want to go home to their families and you want to make the day. But as 14 year olds, that was the best. If we could just make the other people laugh, it was That's so awesome. fun. That's yeah. awesome. I can feel that. Like you describing that, I was like, yeah, totally. I can see that. Um, oh, it's great. Just so, It's yeah. just so much fun. Yeah, so speaking of being one of the kids on the show, because like I, I, I said, you know, you're the first kid from the show that we've had on the podcast. All three of us are sort of you know, around the same age. You were on Disney Channel while we were watching it. So just what was, you know, a typical day or week like on set as a kid on the show? I, it sort of felt like we kind of ran the set because, I mean, the, the main protagonists were kids. Mm-hmm. Going back and watching the show, I no longer feel this way. But when I was on the show, it, to me, it was the Lewis and Friends show. <laughs> that was everything. I didn't even know, like, the fact that there were Ren storylines or parent storylines, they were totally irrelevant to me. It, it, was, it didn't mean anything. Right, yeah. It being the Lewis and Friends show, it kind of felt like our set in a lot of ways, because it wasn't a kid on a show with a bunch of adults. Everything ran through this filter of being kid-friendly, and that made the whole experience so cool. And I think that the crew members and the production staff and the writers kind of embraced that, Mm -hmm. and everyone was a little bit more lighthearted and a, a bit more relaxed and jovial as a result of it being kids show and there being real kids on set all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it just made for a really cool, friendly work environment. I mean, it was junior high. It was high school. It was great. It was just a big extended family. I just recall really enjoying being on set all the time. Right. Getting along great with all the crew members and having, you know, different having relationships with everyone from the prop people to the gaffers to the hair and makeup people um, to the writers upstairs, our other castmates and stuff. It was great. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I know. I can't imagine. Yeah, that whole, you know, growing up basically on a Disney show, which, you know, they always say there's only the very small percentage of people who understand what that's like. Yeah. It was so fun. So I did an episode of Christie's Kitchen Throwback. So yeah. that was so fun to go do. The I hadn't seen Christie in a really long time. Right. The on-camera part was fine, you know. But again, you're doing that sort of like performy mm-hmm. Disney Channel kid actor thing mm-hmm. um, when you're on camera. But afterwards, we just sat on her couch and talked about life and you know remembering some stories from the old days mm-hmm. and. You have to have been there in order to know what the other person is talking about. Right. And so that was so cool to catch up on a lot of that stuff, especially because I, you know, who else are you going to talk to about it? Exactly. You have to have been there. And on that same day, Lelaine was filming her episode of the show too. So Lelaine showed up. Yeah. And I hadn't seen her in forever either. So I got to catch up with both of them. uh, And that was awesome. That was, that was so great. That's cool. Do you have anything from set from uh, even Stevens? Gosh, I, I don't think I do. Hmm. I wish I wish I had a little something, yeah. but yeah, I, I don't think I have. I don't think oh, I have man. anything. I think my mom still wears like the Even Stevens fleece around. We would get a wrap gift at the end of each year. There'd be like a yeah. crew wrap gift. Right. One of them was a fleece. I'm pretty sure she still wears that. Yeah, that's awesome. That's cool. I got the hat 
and then I think Brittany, you got. Oh, the, cool. De- yeah, Dennis, Dennis sent us a so couple. Cool. He gifted yeah. us some stuff. Oh, that's awesome. Super cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he, Ethan has like a crew hat, and then I have the blanket from the Emmys. Oh yeah, the the blue one with the gold yep. stitching around the sides. Yep. Nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Super nice. Definitely super nice cool. of him. Yeah. He's been super, you know, just kind of making us feel good, you know, by saying he's like, you, you guys are part of the crew now, you know. I've never heard the podcast. I didn't know it existed. I had no idea because I'm just not on social. It's not really a thing. I have like a very limited presence. Yeah. And it was on the reunion call where Dennis and Mark were just singing your guys' praises and talking about <laughs> how great the podcast was and everyone should go do it. So when you did hit me up on Instagram, I, I was like, yeah, I'll do it. That sounds great. I'm so glad you guys asked. Of course, yeah. Um, and that's because Mark and Dennis, Mark and Dennis, were just crazy about it. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty awesome. We were watching that, and then we were because, uh, and then we called each other after, and we were like, "Oh my gosh, they mentioned us on the, <laughs> on the oh, reunion." Yeah. We were cool. like, "Whoa, that's cool. That was like surreal." And it was so nice too. Like, if we felt a part mm. of it, it was like this is what the whole experience. That's so indicative of the Even Stevens experience. Is everyone was just it was a great crew of people, and it sort yeah. of started with Mark and Dennis, right? Just being two good guys, being two great showrunners, and it all trickled down from there. And mm-hmm. to you know, Matt Dearborn, the creator of the show was incredible. Sean and David were so great. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone at the top of the food chain on that set was awesome. And as a result, everyone else underneath was awesome too. Definitely. Yeah, I can yeah. see that too. Just the limited people we've spoken to. It's like, yeah, yeah everyone's really down to earth. Across the board. Yeah. yeah. Do you have yeah. any favorite episodes from the show? Well, Ethan, uh, we're going to get into that. Oh, There's yeah. a whole segment, oh, okay. right? Did you, did you do your homework? AJ? I did my homework. Okay, yeah. good. Oh. I mean, I'm a little torn over what I'm going to choose exactly, okay. but yes, I did my homework. Okay. So I, so there are, mm, let's see if there's any one more like question or so, you know, making sure I go down and check off all the ones that we've touched. Pretty much everything. Just as a quick aside, do you see Honey Boy? That was the next thing on the list. <laughs> I have not seen Honey Boy. Okay. Your name is in it. There's an AJ name drop. Yeah, I I have heard yeah. this. I haven't seen it yet. I intended to see it in the theater. It just didn't happen. I left town for a couple of months. I was in Europe, and by the time I got back, I wasn't in Europe for a couple of months, but I mm. left town. I was in Europe. By the time I got back, the movie was out of the theaters, and I just haven't gotten around to watching it on uh, okay. right. um, TV yet, but I do intend to watch it. Yeah, yeah it's good. It's really yeah. good. I've heard amazing. Yeah, I've yeah. heard amazing things. And I was pumped that yeah, your name was in it too. I mean, I was like, who else could that be referencing? I oh, yeah. think that's pretty, <laughs> pretty specific. There could have been another but... AJ. Yeah, there could have been another one. <laughs> the younger Shia in the movie mm-hmm. uh, just says like, oh, like AJ got me tickets to the Dodgers game, or like we're gonna go to the Dodgers game together, or something. Was that something you guys? did back then or we never went to a Dodgers game we went to a St. Louis Cardinals game I remember we went to St. Louis Shia Nick and myself to do this Joe Torrey basketball charity event Mm -hmm. where Nelly of all people was there playing basketball (laughs) and he's incredible at basketball he was such a good basketball player but we yeah we were in St. Louis and we went to a Cardinals game uh that was a fun experience yeah going out there that was good so I think that's pretty much all of the question questions. Did you have anything else, Ethan? I was going to ask you what your favorite movie was. Oh. Oh, God. You know, I did, I watched so many films over the course of quarantine. Same. If I had to make a list, and don't hold me to it, maybe this will change in in a few months, I'm going to put Shawshank Redemption at the top. Maybe I'll put Goodfellas at number two. Good one. (laughs) Maybe we've got Fargo at number three. And then the the next two 
it gets a little iffy. Like maybe it's the Big Lebowski. I'm going to leave it at those top three. Let's go. Okay. I feel good about this. I feel good about Shawshank Redemption, uh, Goodfellas, and Fargo. Couple Coen Brothers ones in there too. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Ethan, Ethan's a big movie guy. Yeah, big movie guy. It's a great thing to love during quarantine. Oh yeah, my day job is a film critic, so I would just... oh cool. What's your top? What are your top three? Oh, I have a weird list. So <laughs> my number one is Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Whoa, and then American Graffiti. Okay. And then probably Back to the Future. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Would not have expected that. Two time travel movies and a movie that <laughs> takes you back in time. So Yeah. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're like so different with so many different things. Like I feel like my movie tastes are just so mainstream. Like mine would be my number one ever is Titanic. Whoa. Um, we have a Titanic. <laughs> oh, so we have a second podcast that's a Titanic podcast. Oh, cool. <laughs> Completely my idea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, dragging Ethan into it with me. <laughs> but yeah, so it would be Titanic, then School of Rock, the 2007 Hairspray. Whoa. And the 2002 Sam Raimi Spider-Man. I love how shameless these are. This is so great. You guys, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is that Spider-Man? Is that Tobey Maguire Spider-Man? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. I love that one. Yeah. I mean, that's the one I grew up with. You know, it's usually the one you grew up with that you have yeah. that. <laughs> you know, the thing I appreciate about your guys' list, and it just goes to the power of programming for young people, is every movie you listed is something that you watched at a certain age for mm-hmm. the first time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it had it had such an outsized impact on the rest of your life. And remember when we say we love these films, some of a certain percentage of that is the feeling we got the first time we watched it. Totally. Yep. And that is the thing that we love the most, regardless of how great the film is on its own, if we were just critiquing it on its own merits. Oh, yeah. Whatever that feeling was that you experienced, like if I was going to do my own list along those lines, it would be those things I reference, which are Romeo and Juliet, Scream, <laughs> and Can't Hardly Wait. Oh, great yeah. What a ridiculous <laughs> list of favorite <laughs> movies. But the feeling I got watching those was so incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're a young person and you're watching entertainment, it, 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 you, you're just so blown away by it in a way that it's like impossible to experience that in your 30s or 40s yeah. or 50s. Mm-hmm. And we should be making more very high quality content for young people because the level of impact it's going to have on them for the rest of their lives is exactly. pretty is pretty amazing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so again, you have to really respect your audience. You can't, you know, you have to understand how smart young people are and stop this sort of pandering, which mm. is just giving them cheap jokes and cheap laugh tracks yeah. and stuff that is just a waste of everyone's time. Yeah. So why don't we just make great content? It's not that we have a lack of great writers and a lack of great directors and um, actors and creatives that want to make good stuff. It's that we, you know, not to be uh, insensitive, but like we think kids are stupid and they can only yeah. understand stupid comedy. Mm-hmm. And that's just not the case at all. Because when we were five, six years old, we were watching The Goonies or watching mm-hmm. uh, E.T. or whatever it was that, you know, was quote unquote kids programming at the time that stuff is way more sophisticated oh, than yeah. what is currently coming out yeah. um, on television and, and I think there should be a resurgence soon because a lot of people who grew up with that kind of stuff I think are, are now just starting to get into onto the creative side of it yeah you're right they're of the age too to be doing it you'd think that soon there's going to be kind of more of a shift to that type of comedy or that type of quality mm. I hope so yeah. You know, there's such a specific humor now right. online with kids that is also not stupid. Like like there's there's this weird 
quality to what a lot of kids online find funny now, which is almost, I mean, it's like kids love The Office. Kids love, right. you know, this this offbeat, awkward kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's just kind of interesting. But I think that's interesting because we've gotten a few people, younger people, to write to us and say, you know, I started watching Even Stevens on Disney Plus and I absolutely love it. Like, I'm obsessed with the show now. It's become one of my favorite shows. And, you know, we both still love this show into adulthood too, obviously, because there was a lot for everyone as we've been talking about. It's just been kind of amazing to get emails from someone. Like, I haven't even told you this one yet, uh, Ethan. We got an email from a 12-year-old. Oh, wow. Uh, and she was she was like, hey, I'm 12 and, like, I've been listening to your podcast and, like, I love Even Stevens now. And, and all this stuff, it's just it's just super cool, and uh, right. like so many kids are, you know, seeking out what they want to watch themselves. When you are using the vehicle of Disney Channel, it's so easy to find stuff, right? Because it's such a when you're or when you're doing linear programming. Well, mm-hmm. it's the show that's on Thursdays at eight p.m., so I'm yep. going to try it at least. Mm-hmm. Versus in the streaming space, there's such an overabundance of programming; it's almost oh, yeah. impossible to sift through everything. Yeah. There's so many mm-hmm. shows that have come and gone that I didn't even know ever existed. Right. I still feel like there is such value in the linear. I'm I'm actually a big proponent for linear programming. Oh yeah, and, yeah. and kind of against the streaming binge watching model. Oh yeah, which is, I like that a show comes out once a week. I like that it comes out at a certain time. I like the watching it live, participating, and then having a conversation afterwards. Totally, as opposed to FOMO taking over and then just. Oh yeah. Well, I didn't watch all ten episodes, and everyone's already done it, so I'm done. I'm moving on. I'm never going to watch it. Yep. When you take into account the streaming thing too, then then you then it relies on marketing. Like how well do people are just. How can you get it out there? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Versus if something is just on TV, you're like, oh, I didn't even know the show existed. And now I'm going to watch it because nothing else is on. Right. Yeah. So it's taking all of those elements like you were you were saying, Brittany, of you, the streaming platforms have more flexibility. They can do re- really cool offbeat stuff that Disney Channel for, you know, their brand has been built so big that they can't necessarily do anymore. Mm-hmm. Can't take those risks. But, you know, can you have it in that drop an episode a week type model where people can really um, experience and participate in the um, show as it goes, all of that stuff. Yeah, it'd be really cool to see us get back to something like that. Something like that. I remember arguing with someone about that, about how with this, which also will probably segue into something else, but with like the potential Lizzie McGuire reboot. Right. With Disney Plus, you know, they were saying a lot of their shows will be released weekly. And I was like, oh, thank God. Right. And I was like, I hope that's the case with Lizzie McGuire. So that not only... Uh, just, you know, to have that experience of just watching it once a week, kind of feeling like it did when you were a kid, but also just, you know, to be able to savor it. You know what I mean? It's like I grew up watching Lizzie McGuire weekly. Yeah. It's like it'd be nice for me to continue doing that as an adult. I don't want to have to watch everything all at once and then it's gone, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah, you can't, it doesn't stick with you the same way. No. No, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't stick with you the same way. It doesn't take up as much of your life as it, yeah, exactly. as yeah. it did when it was a constant in your life every week, yeah. you know? And maybe a part of that is you associate, again, you're watching that, you're in seventh grade mm-hmm. and you're watching that show every single week. Well, now your entire seventh grade year 
is a part of the memory of watching Lizzie McGuire. Yeah. It's all wrapped up together. So yeah. you watch Lizzie McGuire, you're transported back to seventh grade, the music you were listening to, the yeah. friends that you had, the people that you were interested in romantically. Yep. All of that comes back to you. But if you watch it all in one afternoon, there's no associated memory. <laughs> totally, yes. <laughs> and all of this stuff goes hand in hand. It's all a part yeah. of a bigger picture. You can't, yeah. you binge watch a show, you have an experience, you like wake up, you're like, what the hell just happened? Were you dreaming? <laughs> yeah. And it, it, it's so much easier to forget it. It won't have that lasting impact. Right. And there's so many other things to watch that you're like, okay, I'm done with that now. Now I have to watch something Moving else. Moving on yeah. to the next yeah. thing. It's like, a, I personally, I feel this sense of panic. Yeah, me too. so much stuff to watch. <laughs> me too. That I just get paralyzed and I can't yeah. watch it all. That's why another reason why I like that linear schedule of, mm. well, I can't binge yeah. watch it. I have to wait, which gives me room to watch these other things that I want to watch. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, so why don't we move on to a segment, and we love segments on this podcast, and so since our podcast is based on ranking the episodes, we're super excited because, you know, we did this for the first time with Mark and Dennis, and it was just like, oh, we have to have everyone do this now. So I'm glad that you did it. Uh, appreciate it. Why don't we we'll count them down? Five to one. Number five. Your number five. Is this, is this number five best or number five favorite? Would you number, say? Number. Uh, I'm so all of my things are favorite, and a lot of the favorite for me has to do with certain memories from shooting the episodes. Right. So the watching it for me has a different feeling than it would have for people that weren't a part of the show. Oh yeah, sure. So a lot of this has to do with favorite memories of actually making the show. Yeah. So I'm going to go in order, but this also has no particular order for me, but okay. other than top five. Okay, gotcha. so number five. Okay, number five, I'm going to go with uh, Close Encounters of the Beans Kind. Sweet. Awesome. So filming, in particular, this whole sequence with uh, in inside the house where we are getting goggled up and getting our spray can together because we're really convinced that Beans is an alien yep. and we're going to have to do something about it. It just felt at that time, I remember thinking like this is the, the peak experience of we've really got Twitty and Lewis figured out in their relationship and it's equal parts funny and over the top and wacky but also grounded and... Um, you know, really going for something. Uh, and that episode stands out to me of just feeling like really comfortable, like we'd kind of hit in our stride and we're really doing stuff. And then from a viewing standpoint, <laughs> the ending of the episode with Beans going, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it's horrifying. <laughs> it's such a classic moment. Uh, I really like that. Great it's great. All right. You doing the setups or can I, do I just launch into number four? Uh, go ahead. Yeah. Number four. Okay, so number four for me is Starstruck. All right. Because there was this scene where we're at the recording studio and we're hanging out with B.B. Mac and Twitty goes on this rant about he's trying to like you know plug himself and yep. plug his yep, band, yep, yep. the Alan Twitty Project. Have you ever heard of it? Uh, <laughs> and again, it's you know I remember shooting that scene and just really feeling like in the in the pocket and it just going so well mm -hmm. um, and just had a lot of fun doing that. And it was also it was part of the beginning of Shia and I or Lewis and Twitty getting into doing things like the penny dance oh, yeah. and mm -hmm. 
other stuff that would become more of like a, a familiar motif of different wacky things that they would do together. That that yeah. sort of was the beginning of that and something I always had fun with and, and enjoyed. You brought the English accent back as oh, well yeah. for that scene and oh, like did? for like a split second. Oh, must have missed that one. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's one of my favorite sequences in all of the entire series is just that studio and then you have the cheese plate in your lap. Yeah, right. And, <laughs> and it was it's classic Shia too, like um, him doing the tambourine Oh, yeah. how he was doing it with his head yeah. and the, the the thing is very classic his yeah. his humor on and off set okay number three is secret world of girls oh it's the debut of beans yeah. his his introduction which is is so great again it was a, it was a heavy lewis and twitty episode i love the ingenuity of starting a business and learning how you know they're gonna make some money and they're gonna do all of these things and it was just a fun episode uh to shoot in the basement and um i just have a lot of good memories from pretty much everything we shot in the basement was great yeah always had fun (laughs) on the basement set that was super good um okay number two is band on the roof and band on the roof it was directed by our editor, Greg Hobson. Mm-hmm. It was just a super fun episode. And then we got, I, I had the opportunity to, this is the first chance I had to write some music for the show, mm-hmm. um, which was a super fun experience. And I remember going to the recording studio. So it was my myself and my mom helped write the song. And in the studio, I brought my dad and he brought some cool vintage guitars that we got to play. And he played that guitar solo that's on the track. My dad played oh, it and then, sh- and then showed me how to play the guitar solo. And I still remember it to this day. It's like, again, these things that happen as a young person just get so embedded in your brain. Yeah. yeah. The fact that I remember this guitar solo <laughs> is just so weird, but just goes to show like how important it was for me to learn it exactly right right so yeah. when we were filming i could play the solo that is exactly how it's supposed to be played on the set of that i borrowed a guitar from guitar center i think it was like a 1957 stratocaster mm-hmm. no one else would know this i just thought it was super cool to have on set yeah um yeah so that was that was a lot of fun yeah. filming so that is that episode. band on the roof or battle of the bands because the crazy song First debuted in Battle of the Bands. Oh, did it? Okay, so may, I have the writing wrong then. But did we bring Crazy back for... <laughs> yeah, yeah, you brought it back. It was in yeah. both episodes for sure. Okay, because for Battle of the Bands, I remember Sacramento Girl. Yeah, yeah. they did and, both. And do we do Crazy yeah. as well? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, so there you go. I was talking about just thinking of like the writing process. I'm like, well, that must have happened... Yeah. With Battle of Bands. I mean, yeah. We watch these episodes a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also on Band on the Roof, stylistically, we, we're we always doing these weird different things. So we yeah. do like the mockumentary style for Band on the Roof, right? Yeah. Uh, and in Battle of the Bands, there's this moment where we're voting whether or not Ren is going to be in the band. Mm-hmm. Talking super close up to camera on this fisheye mm-hmm. lens, which is like that show Survivor, yeah. yep. which was relevant at the time. Never again did we ever do a segment that was similar to Survivor, <laughs> you know, and like talking to the lens like that and stuff. Yeah. Um, okay. So Band on the Roof, here's what I'm going to do for my number two. Okay. It's a tie number two, Band on the Roof, Battle of the Bands. Okay. Because Battle of the Bands was on my list, but I took it off because I could only have five episodes. Okay. Okay. We're going to put them together. They totally go together. Those are a unit, okay? Yeah. Yeah. And then for number one, I have King Sloppy. Wow. Ah. Nice. Good one. And King Sloppy, for me, that scene, the what's a, t- what's a twofer scene? Yeah. Yeah. Mitch Hen- Henneman. I think that's Mike, our Mike name. Hageman. Mike Hageman. Mike Hageman. Yeah. 
Yeah. So Mike Hageman and, and we uh, do the scene with the wig and the mustache and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. That was probably, for whatever reason, my favorite scene to shoot doing wow. that little segment. <laughs> I was always a big fan of SNL. Mm-hmm. And for some reason that felt, at least the day we were filming, felt very SNL-y. Totally. Well, yeah. And I recall Shia's dad, Jeff, coming up to me afterwards. <laughs> and this is such a flip, because at one point I was in the makeup trailer and Jeff was there and Jeff says to me, you're not funny. And I was Ooh. like so <laughs> devastated that what? Jeff said this. I was a teen, oh you know, young God. teenager. I just only wanted to be funny. And Jeff said, you're not funny. And I was so crushed. And <laughs> after filming that scene in King Sloppy, I remember Jeff coming up to me and saying, that was really good. That was really funny. Uh-huh. Wow. You know, I mean, you're just so impressionable. Like yeah. you just yeah. you go through these emotional swings. But I remember being particularly happy with the way that scene went and that whole that whole thing. Um, so I'm going to put King Sloppy for my number one. That's a good one. By the way, you are hysterical. Oh, even just in non even Stevens. I was watching your, your uh, nightmare room episode last night. Oh my gosh. And oh my the, God. I don't think I've ever seen that. Ethan that I filmed with Drake Drake's in that too, right? Yep. Yeah. And uh, Brenda song and Brenda. Oh my God. Yeah. Brenda almost played the part of Twitty's girlfriend. Allison. Oh, Allison. Allison. To, yeah. Yeah. And it came down to Brenda, and I forget the girl's name that actually ended up playing the role. Tanya. Tanya? That sounds good. But it came down to the two of them, and I remember being in the audition room, and I read with the actresses, and we had a rep from Disney Channel there, and Joey's office was casting it. And they really wanted to give the role to Brenda. I think they'd been kind of like grooming Brenda to be a Disney Channel kid. Mm -hmm. Everyone was like, you know, we wanted to give the part to Brenda, but Tanya just... But she just brought it today. She just had the better audition and she really did great. So yeah. she got the job and um, I was really, you know, rooting for Brenda too because we already had a friendship and had done stuff together. I think we did like a, a McDonald's slash Coca-Cola commercial t- together too at one point. <laughs> Amazing. But yeah, she almost, she almost played Allison Wong. Yeah, she's great. Wow. Uh, but the Nightmare Room episode, it's a very serious episode and Drake plays the lead, but you're the best friend and F- like you give some really funny moments in that episode, just naturally. Like you, yeah, you're funny for sure, dude. Thanks, bud. I mean, I, I've gotten over it at this point, yeah. but it being at being 13, 14, I just remember being yeah. just the wind just totally knocked out of me. I yeah, totally. I can see that. Yeah, and it's funny too because uh, Shia had an episode of the Nightmare Room as well. Yeah, yeah. with Dylan and Cole Sprouse. What they were on it too. They oh, they played whoa. the little demon kid. Yeah, they you're played right. like the demon doll that came to life. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Really that was that was one of those shows that we all all sort of participated went through. in. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone went yeah. through that one. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we've had a really cool conversation. We ranked some episodes. Yeah. Secret World of Girls is my number one, by the way. Yeah, Band on the Roof oh, really? is my number one. Oh, yeah, you cut, you wanted okay. to know our top five. Yeah, so, yeah, please, tell me. I, I want to know why, we don't, you don't have to do this for every episode, but I would like to know why you each selected your uh, respective number ones, and I would like to hear the top fives. Okay, okay. you go first, Brittany. So you want to go first, Ethan? I'll, go, I'll, I'll go first, I'll go first. Right. So my number five is The Kiss. Me too, actually, so that's perfect. We're both number five with The Kiss. Oh, yeah, it's true. Yeah, we're both on number five. What is, which episode is The Kiss again? Tell me just a brief... It's the one where uh, um, Lewis and Tani... Accidentally kiss. Oh, yeah, kiss, yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, then yeah. she does the play, and then Lewis just ruins it, and it's amazing. But, um, yeah, it's a good one. I don't know if this exists anywhere, but when we finished shooting the show, I think it was like Shia's last shot, and Margot walks up 
down the hallway on camera and kisses Shia on the mouth. Really? Oh. Out of character, not not in character, oh, okay. but because they were like starting to date at that time. Wow. And there's this great thing of Shia like you know pumping his fist as this whole thing goes down. Wow. It was the very end of the show. It was our last. I think it was the last shot of the whole wow thing. It exists on like a blooper reel someplace. <laughs> from That'd be awesome. Three. Yeah. Wow. See, Disney Plus should release stuff like that. I think that'd be cool to see. Yeah, the blooper reels are pretty funny. Yeah. And then number two, my number four is Secrets and Spies, which of course you do the, the girls, girls do, do weird, weird things, things, improv little thing. I don't know if you remember. I do not remember it, but I'll, I'm going to check these out. It's, that's a that's like a another fan favorite moment. People will love that. Okay. Little, little bit. Uh, Quest for Coolness is my number three. Okay. Fen- phenomenal episode. Broadcast Blues. Oh yeah. My number two, and then uh, cool. Number one is Secret World of Girls. Just uh, I remember the first time I ever watched it and this Beans character was so bizarre. And I was like, yeah. whoa, this is I mean, it was already my favorite show. But that pretty much cemented, OK, this show is unlike anything. That was the one that did it. And it's I think it's just a perfect episode. Just every it's every moment of it is just so tight. Yeah, it's a good one. I, I went camping this last weekend with Nick Spano oh. and and Amazing. Stephen Lawrence nice. Beans. Nice. Yeah. That's nice. That's cool. All right, Brittany, what do you got? Um, okay, so my number five is also The Kiss, uh, just because it stands out to me. It, it was the season three premiere episode. It just had this different energy to it. Um, of course, it was like leaning more into the romancy stuff, which I was super into as a kid. Guys, this is so, this is so indicative and so important because you're both growing up at the same age, whatever. You're around 10-ish years old, let's say, okay? Yeah. A boy and a girl. You're, what, you just said you're in, you were interested in some of the romantic stuff. So you're getting that from the show. You're liking that for the kiss. But you even also said the kiss is your top number yeah. five for whatever reason, whatever you were getting from exactly. it. Exactly. It's like we can do but both things, guys. Because we it's, can cross over. For me, the kiss, because I, I wasn't, I didn't even care about the romance. I, it was, it's a funny episode. Right. It's so well written. Yeah. This is yeah. what I'm saying. You can have humor. You can have romance. You can do both. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Totally. But yeah, but yeah, it's, that's a that's just a great episode that mm. I think is also a fan favorite, really memorable. So then my number four is Battle of the Bands. So then my number three is A Week First Week, so the original pilot. Oh, okay. I never really get tired of watching it because there's just something so fun mm. about being able to see where something started. And it's just so fun to watch like the birth of the show, basically. I think mm. it's an important episode for that reason. Yeah. So my number two is Secret World of Girls because I know it's such a fan favorite. Uh, so I was like, I feel like it's got to be that because obviously it's super memorable. First appearance of Beans. Everyone is kind of in that episode, at least all like the main kids. Yeah. It, it is a solid episode. My number one is Band on the Roof uh, just because, again, it's another music one, but it's also just one of those episodes that I just feel like everyone remembers. Yeah. It stands out because it is a little different with the mockumentary thing, but then also... That's one of the things I love about it. Because, you know, there was like a lot of like awkward stuff to the show. And I think that sort of format just elevated that stuff. Yeah. And just just highlighted it, like some of the interview portions and just a lot of that stuff. And like the looking at the camera sometimes and just everything. It just sort of felt like, I don't know, it just feels sort of right to me. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's like an unexplored genre or or technique to use for a kid's show. I think, yeah. I think you could do an entire kid's show like that. Like part of me wished like 
the whole show was filmed that way too, <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, it worked well. Especially because even Stevens is already such a self-aware show almost. Yeah. Yes, yes. Like exactly. almost borderline satire. Uh-huh. For something to kind of parody itself almost was really was a refreshing take and almost like it was a long time coming in a sense too. I think so too. Yeah. yeah. And it was, yeah, it was fun to shoot for those reasons yeah. as well. Yeah. And it's a big fan favorite. Cool. Well, I'm going to go back and rewatch some of those ones you guys mentioned too. Yeah. This is, this is cool for me to hear. Yeah. Watch oh, the yeah. kiss. That's a guy. Sure. If you haven't seen that one in a while, I'm gonna, it's, really it's on good. both your lists. Yeah. Number five. I, I do have a qu- quick question. So, uh, you went with, you said Nick and, and Steven, do you guys ever talk about even Stevens? Like how often does it come up in the conversation? Not often, okay. but in the last year or so, it's come up more mm-hmm. because yeah. of Disney Plus yeah. and because Christy did the throwback, the kitchen throwback. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so many people participated in that mm-hmm. because of the reunion. Yep. 20 years. It's big. Time. Yeah. So for those reasons, it's come up quite a bit more. For me, it comes up as a, in my work as a producer, it comes up as a reference point often. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like the experience it only comes up every so often. Like Nick and I have stayed friends since the show. So oh. there isn't really much reason for us to talk much yeah. about even Stevens anymore. Right. Um, yeah. And Matt Dearborn and I have been friends since the show too. So there isn't much reason okay. for us to, to keep talking about it. But the people that I don't see as often, like Christy, like Steven, sure. like Lauren Frost, who played Ruby, we will talk about the show because it's the thing, you know, one of the main things that we have in common. So, and we don't see each other all that often. Yeah. Makes sense. That's kind of funny that you mentioned Lauren. Um, I just remembered some of the questions we got. There was a question that said it was on Instagram. It was ask him who his favorite cast member to work with. And that was from Lauren Frost. So I'm I'm assuming we're, we're looking for a specific answer there. Lauren was my absolute favorite. Lauren was so great. (laughs) And uh, the same thing, we got a question, ask him who his favorite producer was on the show, and that was from David Brookwell. So. Oh, great. Yeah, David was the best. <laughs> David was definitely the best producer, yep. Aside from you know those specific answers, because they asked, but was there anyone really that stood out? Or I mean, you know, of course I had the most fun working with Shia. Yeah. It was so great. And, and you know, also just being close friends at that time, mm-hmm. it was great. And again, learning a lot from him, it was always fun. The whole production staff was pretty incredible. It's one of the biggest things I took away from that show is these long lasting relationships that have manifested themselves in different ways in my life over the years. The first job that I had working in production was at Brookwell McNamara Entertainment. Nice. I was working as their director of development and so they start, you know, seven years ago started my, what is now my career. So I'm, you know, really grateful to them for that. I've produced shows with Tom Burkhardt, who's one of the writers from the show. I've produced mm-hmm. stuff with Matt Dearborn. It's just these long lasting relationships that started that long ago, I, I, I think is so cool. So I think it just speaks to the types of relationships that we were creating on that show between the actors and the production staff were pretty unique. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Susie and Sarah were two of the writers that I haven't spoken to in a really long time, but they were so wonderful to be around. Mark and Dennis were awesome. Big supporters of everything that we were doing as kids mm-hmm. separate from the show. So they were really into the fact that we did music. And I'm pretty sure it was Mark's son was in a band called Mystic Frisbee. Yeah. You know, he was very supportive of what mm-hmm. I was doing in music and mm-hmm. uh, the fact that his son played music and stuff like that. So 
I mean, we couldn't have asked for a better production staff. They were all really great. You still talk to Margot at all? Yeah, that was a that was a big question. Yeah, I haven't spoken to her in a really long time, a really long time, and we were super close for a while there. And Margot dated a soup, you know, my best friend she dated him for for quite a while Mm -hmm. so I had a group of friends that were also all young actors and then I was friends with everyone on Even Stevens and I introduced the two groups Mm -hmm. and you know then everyone was hanging out we would go to City Walk and uh, you know just hang out at Universal City Walk Uh, that was what we would do on a Friday night Uh, we all hung out together but yeah hung out with Margot all the time haven't seen or spoken to her in many many years Mm. wow yeah, she's like off of social media. Off like. the grid, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was, I guess, surprised that she wasn't a part of the 20-year reunion. Yeah. Um, mm. Would have been really cool to see her. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I haven't seen her spoken to her in a while. I think a lot of what you were talking about kind of maybe covered or at least goes into two wrap-up questions that a lot of people had. Yeah, like what's the biggest life lesson or takeaway you got from your time on the show? And then you know, going into what you've been up to recently, because I know you work in kids and family and you mentioned that on Christie's show as well. But I know a lot of people are like, you know, they asked us, they're like, can you ask him like exactly what that is? Like what exactly he does? Yeah. And then you also, you were very coy about something that might've been in the works, having Christie be involved in it. And you were like, I can't oh, say right. anything. People are freaking out. <laughs> and, and so everyone's just sort of like, yeah. Can you say anything about that? Or are we still sworn to secrecy? Or So we're still sworn to secrecy on the Christie thing. Okay. Uh, there's not much I can talk about there, unfortunately. But the, in answer to your other two questions, where should I start? So my biggest takeaway from the show, I don't know if this is going to answer the question exactly right, but this is what I'll say. Looking back on it, it's... It was such a unique space and it's such a cool thing to go through because it's literally living out your dreams, right? Mm. Having achieved your goal, mine was just simply being on a Disney Channel show. Having the reality of living that is so cool and was not lost on me. And I really Mm. appreciated every minute of it. And it was really, really neat. And then also appreciating how all of these people that you meet throughout your life or these things that you go through, how they bleed into and impact your future path. Mm-hmm. And that was very much true for me with um, my time on Even Stevens and the influence the people that I that that I worked with on that show have had on the rest of the trajectory of my life all these right. years later. So those are two two main things I got out of the show, apart from it just being such a you know awesome overall experience. In terms of what I I do, which kind of connects to the last thing I said, I develop television shows for kids and family audiences. So Mm -hmm. what that looks like is, like for example, recently I optioned a book, a kid's book, and developed a television show of that kid's book with Matt Dearborn, where Mm -hmm. Matt creates the concept for the show and how we're going to do it and who the characters are and all of the other things that go into making that a television show. Um, And then we go out with that property to the various networks that exist for kids programming. So it used to only be Disney Channel and Nickelodeon. And now it's Disney Channel, Nickelodeon, HBO Max, Netflix, Disney Plus. But anyway, I'm forgetting one. But 
there's this, there's now five buyers where there were only two buyers. Mm. And so I do this again and again and again. So I've done stuff with David and Sean. I've done stuff with Paul Hohen, as I mentioned. I've taken a few shows out with Tom Burkhardt and do shows with Matt Dearborn. So that's what I do on a day-to-day basis is whether it's optioning books or finding scripts that would be great material or coming up with new ideas. I'm not a writer, so I bring writers on and then the writer will uh, you know, work that into an actual television show pitch and then we go out and... Do that cool. during the pandemic. Is there still work for you to do, or are you just pretty much at a halt? Yeah, so there's still development work going on. Networks are still hearing pitches, so this is all going to come to an end. This yeah. pandemic yeah. is going to come to an end, and, and we'll be back. You know, productions are actually starting now with new rules due to COVID, mm-hmm. but the executives at the various networks are hearing pitches and considering projects That's and that cool. kind of stuff. So Yeah, we've submitted one show during the pandemic and then we submitted another show just before the pandemic hit. Like we had a meeting on a Tuesday and then the offices closed on Wednesday. Mm. You have your finger on the pulse of like children's entertainment, which is awesome because we get a fresh perspective, I think, than we've gotten. What are your views on like if uh, even Steven's reboot or a sequel series or something like do you think that's viable or can you not see it panning out? Obviously, it probably wouldn't be children's entertainment, but um, hopefully. Well, because that's the thing. Like, we've gotten different answers from different people. Yeah. I think it should still be kid. Well, it should be, in my opinion, it should be programming that speaks to the kid and all of us. Yeah. So mm. it would need to appeal to you guys, and it would need to appeal to if you had a 10 year old. It should appeal to both. Yeah. And I think that to, you know, even Stevens didn't do it for people in their 30s it just wasn't you know it was much more geared towards kids but i would say something like boy meets world really did hit both you could be in your 30s or be you know 10 years old and and both people could could enjoy boy meets world i guess i would see something more along those lines that would appeal to the people that grew up with the show but also usher in a new generation i feel like maybe i'm wrong but i feel like it would change things so much to only appeal to millennials yeah uh fuller house did it really well yeah, you're right. I think Fuller House, and they did a really good job of appealing to, at least at first, appealing to millennials versus Girl Meets World, which I think kind of lost some of the, um, I mean, obviously, like, Corey and Topanga were still in it. Uh, it also kind of, you could tell that the demographic was shifted it slightly, whereas you said Boy Meets World was originally, you could watch it in your 30s, and people did watch it in college and stuff, and they loved it. Yeah. Versus, I don't think Girl Meets World you could watch as an adult in the same way and get the same thing out of it. I don't know. What do you guys see as a reboot? Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> just um, just on that one note quick, Ethan, um, that's kind of the whole thing is how, like with Girl Meets World, of course, like I love Boy Meets World as well. Um, and so tuning into that and then quickly I started tuning out because I was like, well, this wasn't really made for me. You totally. I was like, this is clearly for another generation yeah. of kids. Yeah, we're going to bring this show back, but it's not really going to be for you. Right. Yeah. But you could watch Boy Meets World today and still like it, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I and mean, I do. Yeah. Um, much like I watch Even Stevens. Uh, and my parents right. loved yeah. Even Stevens with uh, watching it with me growing up and they still remember lines from it. My friend's parents remember lines from it. I don't know exactly what they're going to do with the Lizzie McGuire thing. I don't know what's happening with that. There was drama around that due to this exact thing. It seemed like it was kind of tailored more from what I gathered towards an older audience and maybe a more mature thing. So I 
I think if that works out and that can pan out and be successful, I think it could change a lot of how people view like the potential for an even Stevens reboot, I think. Yeah, because I feel like, like again, we talk about this a lot, like with a lot of these reboots, we feel like everyone has sort of taken that same path of like, okay, we're going to bring the characters back and they're going to be parents. Right. And they're going to have kids. And then like, that's going to be a main thing. But it's like, I don't have kids. Like there are so many people who grew up who don't have kids who like aren't going to watch that really. Or it's just sort of this idea, like when Hilary Duff started talking about the Lizzie McGuire reboot, she was like, yeah, I want it to be a show for like, like especially for the girls who grew up watching Lizzie. I want them to continue growing up with her into their thirties. Right. And she's like, I don't want her to be a mom yet. I want her to go through these, you know, issues and all this sort of stuff. And I was like, oh my God, yes, this is what I've been wanting. Cause right. you know, all these shows so far have come back mainly for kids. I mean, you probably have a different perspective since you work in this stuff, but as a viewer, as a fan, it's always like, well, these shows are being brought back for the nostalgia, but then the nostalgia is just kind of in the background. Right. I think that these are all really good points. You know, with Lizzie, because she has the animated character that is explaining her inner thoughts, mm-hmm. you can't ever get away from that. Right. And so if Lizzie is now 32 years old, you're going to hear the inner thoughts of a 32-year-old woman. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. that changes the dynamic of you. It, it has to become more adult as a result yeah. of hearing the inner thoughts of a character and, and the age of that character, which is really important. And on the business side with Lizzie, I think a big part of why that show worked for a comeback is Hillary's fans have really stuck with her and mm-hmm. are so ready for a Lizzie re- reboot. And they're right there, ready to go. And mm-hmm. they relate to who Hillary has become in a big way. And so it just all makes perfect sense and you can absolutely age it up. It doesn't need to be for young people because they're all right there. And even Stevens, we don't have that central anchor point that is a direct connection to the fans, which makes it a little bit different to just make it as um, a nostalgia thing. I guess the show itself does, but there isn't a persona that necessarily anchors it like the way Hillary anchors Lizzie. What do you got? I don't know. See, because Ethan, I feel like you would probably say Shia was probably it for you as a guy growing up, you know? Well, this is true, but Shia's persona is a, as a very serious adult actor. It's like. But yeah, yeah. but I, I will say, though, Hil- Hillary and Lizzie, I mean, you can make a case that they're so um, attached. Interchangeable. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I can totally, I, I, I know exactly what you're saying. And that's a good point. Versus, like, now if someone says, oh, like Shia LaBeouf is in, he's playing Lewis Stevens again. Like it would be awesome for me. And I'd probably like wet my pants, but at the same time, people, I think people have a hard time, uh, divorcing Shia from his very public life and being able to accept him as Lewis. I think he's totally capable. I think he's a phenomenal actor. He's, you know, one of the best in my opinion, but, um, I don't know. I think there'd be so much press behind it that it would, overshadow the intent of the project maybe yeah. yeah there's kind of two versions of an even stevens reboot which is the version that shy is a part of <laughs> yeah. which is so specific because you have to take into account all of this this extensive body of work that he's had and fitting even stevens into the continuity of that and whatever that that one would need to be aged up yeah <laughs> right whatever that means which, but that's 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 the one where we probably lean more towards. Right, <laughs> right. And then there's the version without Shia, but then there's always the elephant in the room because even Stevens, the conceit of the show is 
there's a family of overachievers mm -hmm. and then there's this one kid that just can't seem to get it together. Yeah. yeah. And that's the whole concept that is even Steven. So what do you do? There are ways around it and that's where it gets really fun to try to figure out, well, how do you take that? And so that's why a new cast of young people, because how do you replace, if Shia isn't a part of it, how do you replace what Lewis represented in the show, which is the black sheep and the family of overachievers? And I think that could really be powerful too if they're if they did have Lewis Stevens back and and he was because there are tons of people my age and myself included for a while. There is this sense of for a millennial, you kind of don't have the same outlook as like maybe your parents did where you know they went to college or didn't go to college and they got a job right away and they did all this stuff and their whole life was like planned out yeah for them. oh this is fun oh i like this ethan versus now like my friends are like bouncing around job to job yeah, yeah. and like changing jobs every year and it's like a lot of my friends have no idea what they're going to do and they're in, like 30 so it's i think that would be cool the generation of kids that graduated college at the height of the great recession are forever changed and very unique in the course of history uh, because of the job market that they graduated into. Totally. There's something interesting about Lewis being a part of that and the trajectory that life takes. And you know. yeah. What did Matt, did you ask Matt Dearborn this question? Uh, yeah. Yes, and his answer was like the furthest thing from what we wanted to hear at that moment. Which was basically like, you know, just doing the show all over again for kids, but like a new, fa like not a new family, but just basically like a Lewis 2.0 that was a little kid. And he even mentioned like you, like Twitty and Ren being the parents and that threw us for a loop. I wouldn't be against it, but. But yeah, but it, that was weird. Uh, we, uh, but, we then, like, okay. but then I think it was Sean said something in an interview. Was it yes. Sean? And he said he, he envisioned it like an HBO show where it was kind of like a little grittier and um, because he's like, oh, it'd have to be grittier because this is Lewis. Like Lewis isn't going to just grow up to be this, you know, clean cut Disney kid. Like he will be like, uh, you know, he's going to make bad decisions and like all this stuff. Um, like so. he was, yeah, he was definitely, he was speaking in terms of it being with Shia. Yeah. He was like, and he was super excited. He was like, could you imagine <laughs> Shia LaBeouf playing even Stevens today? I, I do like, I do like the idea of the grown up kids, not, and one of them bouncing around, not having their life together as the yeah. continuous black sheep of this <laughs> overachieving family. Because Ren is naturally oh, yeah. a state senator, or you know, following in her mother's footsteps. Oh, yeah. She can doing, be president or something. Something. Yeah, doing, yeah. doing something. Like that. <laughs> Running yeah. for president, something. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. for sure. But yeah, we we are always entertaining the ideas of this. Did, did you check out Girl Meets World by chance? Did you ever see it? I did, yep. What do you think about that versus Boy Meets World? Uh, I agree with you guys, just it wasn't made for me, so I didn't feel any of the nostalgia. Yeah. It wasn't a nostalgia play at all. Um, I felt like it was just a well-executed sitcom for the Disney Channel. I felt like it was different than normal Disney Channel fare yeah. because you did have the original showrunner of Boy Meets World doing that. Yeah. Ryder Strong um, and his brother directed a lot of the episodes of that show too. Mm -hmm. It did feel like, in a way, like a sort of elevated Disney Channel content. Mm -hmm. I was a fan of the show for certain reasons, and um, but it didn't pull on my heartstrings from a nostalgia perspective yeah. just because right. it wasn't, and I don't think it was meant to yeah. really. And there were moments though, mm -hmm. there were really some good moments with, um, obviously they brought in uh, Will Friedle a couple times and, um, yeah. and Ryder was in a couple episodes, which was really cool. And that stuff was cool. But yeah, I definitely, 
uh, thought it's almost it was almost too high of a bar that was set because Boy Meets World is is so good as far as like the emotion of that show is so unparalleled to, for a show to do it that effortlessly. And I don't think you can really match that or it's either organic or it's not organic. I agree with that. I also think that you know, it's interesting to think about the, the two different types of throwbacks. So in the case of Lizzie and even Stevens, you only had three seasons. Everybody yeah. was a kid for the life yeah. of the show. You only know them as kids. Exactly. And so true. now you're doing a reboot with adults versus Boy Meets World where they did whatever it was, somewhere between six and 10 seasons. Yeah, I don't know exactly. The seven, right. seven, I believe. Yeah, like we kind of yeah. already got to see them as adults. A yeah, yeah that's a good to point. College they were in college. They were in college. Life, yeah. That's it's true. a different type of, of reboot. But see, but that's what's interesting, though. It's right. It's like we never got to see these characters grow up. I agree with you. No, I totally yeah. agree with you. Yeah. Now it's like maybe we should get to see them grow up, yeah. you know? Yeah. It'd be interesting. I'm just, I'm just, yeah. there's so many different routes you can take. I think it would be interesting, too. Um, but like you said, it comes down to the two versions, like Shia or no Shia. Yeah. That's such a huge part of the DNA of the show. That's a big component. Yeah, you have really good points and a good uh, view on yeah. it, I think. That's why I wanted to take your take on it, because I think it would be a lot more realistic than the ones we've heard, and it is, for sure. So, yeah, yeah, appreciate it. Would be cool. So do you have, you have, I mean, a dream, even Steven's reboot, where like anything could happen, it doesn't have to fit any sort of mold or anything, where would you see your character now? Oh, uh, like storyline-wise? Oh, gosh. Uh, I remember sort of thinking on the 20-year reunion that it would be funny to see, I mean, hopefully it's not too depressing, but it would be funny to see Twitty still pursuing the band and still recording and and just really living in that zone Mm -hmm. and bouncing around like working at the last DVD rental store that still exists (laughs) in Sacramento and, and sleeping in his parents' basement and still pursuing music and really wanting that to to work out yeah. i don't it's very depre- depressing and hey, I don't, it's real though yeah and i don't know uh if that works for the overall without giving it more consideration the overall dynamic of how twitty fits into the rest of the even stevens family right because yeah. mm-hmm. there, there was always this thing with twitty where he never drew t- his personal life never drew too much attention and it was always about how he either facilitated or made difficult the plans of Lewis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, we never saw Twitty's parents. No. We never. No, and you only, I think you only know his name as Alan because of the girlfriend episode. Like, there's such a limited degree of information about him. And so he exists, again, to, to help Lewis, whether that is because mm-hmm. he's helping him carry out his plans or keeping him from carrying out his plans, but he's there to help his friend. Right. Um, so the function of Twitty is there to do that for his friend. So I guess the backstory of where Twitty is at in life is only relevant because if Lewis comes back, then the question is, have Lewis and Twitty stayed friends throughout the last 20 years? Or does Lewis come back in the picture and hit his old friend Twitty up because there's some new plan (laughs) that they have to go scheming on? Um, And then Twitty's the life that Twitty has led up to that point separate from Lewis is relevant only because it's thank God my friend Lewis has hit me up and we get to go relive the glory days and go on some adventure together. Right. Um, because I'm tired of, again, working at the video store or living in my parents' basement or whatever this mundane 
boring. Or maybe he just worked an office job and has you know, a regular life and is super bored with it. So Lewis hits him up and there's yeah. something, some exciting adventure to go get involved with. That's kind of cool. I could almost see like a Romy and Michelle type of thing where like Twitty and Lewis are like living together and both of you guys have not necessarily fulfilled your dreams and your careers that your career aspirations and you're just trying to figure out a way to get to that next level find the the value of of life outside of those dreams i guess i just thought of like every episode being them trying to come up with a different way (laughs) to try to achieve this stuff Uh, yeah i guess i feel like if they had stayed friends for 20 years that they cared enough about each other that they would have encouraged each other to get out of yeah Yeah, it's true whatever hole or bad situation but if they didn't have each other in in each other's lives and things went awry that when they come back together it would be like oh this is the thing that's been missing and now stuff's going to change because I've got my old buddy back. That's good too. So now we're really going to make something happen. We drifted apart for whatever reason, probably because Twitty got a girlfriend and Lewis couldn't handle it. And (laughs) there was a a Yoko Ono involved. Yeah, and he just had had to hang out with Tom all the time. Yeah, (laughs) right. Uh, But then in the coming back together is the opportunity to like, now we're going to shake things up and things are going to be different. Of course, it all fails and they learn something else in the process, but it's the, you know, it's the journey. Yeah. Honestly, that'd be amazing. I'd watch it. That's a really cool idea. I'd for sure watch that. We were dabbling as well with the idea of like Lewis eventually like meeting that family standard. But then realizing, wait, like I gave up my comedy dreams or like I, I missed out on this other stuff yeah. in my life. I want to try to get that back. Yeah, that's- Like if he somehow ended up being successful in something, I always just say engineering because he was always making the craziest things like it was nothing. And I'm like, I really hope he would uh, put that to use into adulthood somehow. Yeah. yeah. And then and then, yeah, like being successful in that area of his life, but then realizing, well, wait a minute, this wasn't really all it was cracked up to be. I like that. Being like a Stevens, yeah. you know, it's that that touches on the you always want your endings to be surprising yet inevitable and mm-hmm. you're every if that's where the show started with Lewis it would be surprising in that he was always the class clown and the comedian and he wanted to be the funny guy but it's also inevitable because he comes from a family of state senators and overachievers I forget what uh, Steve Stevens did lawyer a lawyer <laughs> right so of course he winds up in college and he does that whole thing and that's where he is but is miserable and and still screwing up in one way or another um that makes a lot of sense i like that yeah that's good yeah there's so many interesting ways to take it you like, got to yeah. get matt dearborn on it that's the, oh yeah you know, it, oh yeah you got to get everybody back on it you know like we said like the original series was lightning in a bottle if you were to try to do it again you got to have you got to have everyone back yeah and that would work too if Twitty was working off his job and then like Lewis has an epiphany and then he hits you up because you guys haven't talked for a few years and he's like, dude, what are you doing working at an office, bro? Like you need a, you need a <laughs> phenomenal guitar player, you know, and, and we got to get back into it. And then- That's how the scheming begins. Yeah. <laughs> That's how the scheming begins. Yep. Yeah. Amazing. Cool. Wow. This conversation is wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I, am, awesome. I am so enjoying this. This has been great. Yeah, I knew it would be interesting to have a kid come on the podcast like someone who understands or would you know look at the show from that perspective or have an understanding of the show from that perspective yeah Um, i want to sit down and interview the i alluded to this in the uh 20 year reunion the interview the producers because i'm so curious of what yeah it was like to be an adult and what they were keeping from us kids like what was the secret gossip that was going on on set that we had no idea of Oh yeah. I want to talk. I want to sit down with Dennis and ask him some questions. 
<laughs> so my friend Chris Marquette and I, who actually was in an episode oh, yeah. of Even Stevens, yep, he of played e- Evil Lewis. Yep. He and I have been best friends since we were probably 13 years old, and we are now doing a podcast. It's called The Coogan Chronicles, and it's former child actors, being him and myself, interviewing other former child actors about their time and the business and Very entertainment cool. and all there that. That's go. awesome. Yeah. yeah, you you should have them on uh, on you and and Chris's podcast. Yeah, I think we're we're definitely cool. going right now. It's just other former child actors, but yeah, we are going to get to people that have worked with former child actors and were have been a part of that world in various capacities. So yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. You guys post any yet? Uh, we have not. So we've banked about five episodes. Um, you guys know the drill. So we've done our theme music. We're edited everything. We're, you know, banking episodes. We're recording beans tomorrow, actually. Awesome. Yeah, just kind of getting all our ducks in a row before we mm-hmm. put it out Sweet. there. Did you have anything else, Ethan? Because I, I think do not. Yeah, that's that just was... about it. Um, <laughs> hopefully we covered a, a lot of stuff. Um, and yeah, like we call these cast and crew interviews, but I, I really like calling them conversations. You know, I feel like this has been a really great conversation with you nobody else is asking even steven's questions yeah so yeah. you're the only people in the world talking about even Stevens. <laughs> yeah i know that's but that's why yeah, it's such a niche thing here that we got going on no yeah thank you man for taking the time to talk to us i know this was a long one but uh it yeah was, it was awesome my pleasure yeah it's fun it's fun to reminisce about a lot of this stuff and uh talk about it yeah i really haven't talked about the show this in depth in 20 years since we yeah. wrapped doing it so it was a fun trip down memory memory lane oh for sure and it's always just so great being able to you know hear these stories and all these thoughts from the people that were involved from the people that you know did it this is this is the highlight of doing this podcast is how we somehow ended up here yeah uh being able to, to talk to you yeah. you know don't know don't know how it happened yeah but. thank you guys for doing it i think it's cool to um provide context and hip a new group of listeners and watchers to the show and to uh inform the conversation beyond just the episodes for longtime fans of it it's cool that it yeah. all exists now on disney plus and Seems yeah. like good good timing. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks, guys. All right. So yeah. thank you thank so you, much thanks, for coming AJ. on the podcast. My pleasure. My pleasure. It's, it was fun. It's been such a blast. Thanks so much, man. Cool, man. See you, dudes. So that was our interview, or conversation, rather, I like to say now, I think, uh, with AJ Trouth, a.k.a. Alan Twitty. Oh, man. Amazing. Amazing. He was definitely, like, you know, top of my list for interviews, I think, so. Yeah. That was amazing. I mean, he's been a guy, like I said, a guy I looked up to since I was a kid. Such a nice, personable dude and mm-hmm. super smart. I mean, you could tell he knows his stuff. He's been obviously in the industry for a long time. Yep. But even just in the context of, uh, you know, children's entertainment, like he can kind of frame the Even Stevens conversation and the nostalgia conversation differently than I think other people can. It's more similar to how you and I can Talk frame it, but it, yeah. from a... I mean, he uh, he's in that world. I think that was one of the most interesting parts of the whole conversation was how, you know, we got to that point where, you know, we all were coming at these ideas from a different perspective, but it kind of worked. Like, all of us just spitballing all these things, and it was just such a fun part of the conversation. You got you to gotta think that's almost like how a writer's meeting would go. Like, mm-hmm. if you're trying to pitch an idea or, yeah. or kind of come up with a, a plot or an idea for something. Yeah, that was cool. that was definitely fun. That was a highlight. And then of course, as always, just all the stories, you know, the memories, the perspective that he has, you know, again from being one of the kid actors on the show. I knew that that was going to be a really interesting angle that 
we haven't tackled yet, you know? Yeah. That was such a fun aspect to this one. And, um, you know, I can only hope for more like that in the future. All the kids definitely have something different to bring to the table because, you know, they all had a different experience and they all have their memories and yeah. yeah. There was just there's so much now, you know, swimming yeah. in my head about what we talked about. Some things I can't even remember, but all I know is that the vibe was awesome. He was awesome. Mm-hmm. I feel like we touched on a lot of great things and as well I want to let you know our listeners know as far as, you know, answering direct questions, one of the reasons why I think it's best to approach these interviews as conversations now more so than question, 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 going down the list sort of I you know way interviews are sometimes, is that I feel like you get the most natural vibe when you just have a conversation. So we had all of you guys' questions written out, like printed out on paper here. And as the conversation went on, we were checking off things we were hitting. So throughout this entire conversation, I checked off pretty much every listener question that you guys submitted. So although it didn't get to be the sort of situation where it's like, oh, and that question was asked by at, you know, whoever, I hope that, you know, even though we didn't get those little shout outs in, that your question was still answered and that, you know, that. And a lot of the questions, like there are some duplicates, I think, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's like hard because it's like if three people ask the same question, it's like, how do you present that? But um, yeah. And also and also doing it more conversationally, you get kind of to places that you wouldn't naturally get to otherwise and you end up asking questions that you didn't even think to ask in the first Mm -hmm. place and some of those sometimes those are the most interesting ones yeah someone had mentioned like someone wanted to know if he had any memories of the amanda show and then almost right out the gate he just organically started talking about the amanda show and i was like oh well that's perfect and then you know so questions end up getting answered organically very quickly and very frequently during these, I think. So yeah. I feel like it's a lot less going down a list of questions and more just talking and hoping that a lot of these questions get asked. And if they don't get asked, then ask the ones that didn't that we didn't check off. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I had oh, yeah. F- I had five pages of printed oh, out, uh, oh like goodness. like size fourteen font, so not too big yeah. either font of questions and uh just topics to hit on and i did check off every single one so yeah how, how i do it is i just kind of brainstorm just the week the whole week i'm pretty much every time i think of something i add it to this document mm-hmm. and then like the night before i rearrange everything so it's kind of all the even steven stuff's in one thing yep. all like the personal stuff all like the you know late app post even steven stuff yep. so that way it's kind of organized but um i mean the way it went, like like you said, I wasn't even, I didn't even officially ask most of these questions. I checked off every single one. Mm-hmm. So th- that was pretty cool. Yeah. I also think that says something about, you know, the questions that people had, you know, were things that just naturally came up, you know, like good questions. I hope the interview was satisfactory, guys. I think we covered everything we had, at least for today, um, because yeah. you never know. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, I know we did. This was such a great experience. That That's about it for our interview with AJ. Thank you guys so much for listening. 
follow on all of the socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, YouTube as well. Uh, we post all of our episodes there too. So if you ever wanted to just leave a episode specific comment, uh, you can do it under there, I guess. We never really mentioned our YouTube channel on here before. Of course, send an email to evenstevensranked at gmail.com. Uh, the website, evenstevensrank.com, send a voicemail. There's so many things. Uh, yeah, so with the voicemail, of course, it's calling the number in the description or sending us a voice recording. Yeah, hope to hear from you and hope you guys enjoyed this interview or conversation, whatever you want to call it. And we will see you guys in the next episode. See ya. <laughs>